you go. I'm only gonna tell you one time. Oh, you are on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, the fan episodes editions. This is a tribute to Edwin Edward Ludwig Van Halen, and I am joined by some very special guests today. First and foremost, the man who paid for this episode, Ryan T. Russell, and we are joined by luscious Johnny V, Johnny Vogan, and my favorite member of the Corleone family, Edwin Canestracci. Everybody, how you doing today? Right on, brother. Ready to go. Fuck it. Okay, don't everybody speak at once. God damn, get excited. I'm trying to be Fuck. polite here. Fucking yeah, rock and roll. Uh, no. Let's do Fuck this. Polite. This isn't decibel geek. Let's get rude here. It's a rock uh, night tonight. We all been drinking. The bottoms up. And I love it. It's rock and roll night tonight when the San Bernardino sheriff came down to me backstage and said, "Dave, these motherfuckers are out of line tonight." I said, "I'm ready to go." And let me just say this. I'm not gay, but Ian Wadley is looking mighty sexy with that green Riddler mask of his. Man. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can, I can pull that off. Do a little hot rocking tonight. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, everybody knows the show, knows what we normally do, and this would probably be where we go into the news, but I'm like, ah, fuck the news, man. The news is all about Edward, man. But luscious johnny v has uh has brought some news to light that i found out in the pregame show that you guys weren't privy to so uh luscious johnny v tell me about this late breaking news that you've heard well i wanted to share this with the rock and metal combat podcast fans and family uh before it hits blabbermouth it's going to be an exclusive you're going to get it here right now and it's from the pages of wang management all right he wanted me to shout this out the lovable love boat so you had uh, full knowledge of this story before it hit, but your former co-host of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, the uh, contraceptive sponge Terrence, has <laughs> at this point in time placed a restraining order on him. And I just wanted you to comment on that. I mean, is, is this a true statement? We know Roger Waters has, but uh, what about you? Uh, to my knowledge, I have not... Uh placed a restraining order on him a gag order you know i tried putting a gag order on him uh but the motherfucker bites so i pulled out uh <laughs> i'm like you know what i'm just gonna leave this alone uh no i have no gag order on terrence um i, I will i will say this i will say this initially what i was gonna do um uh, was i was gonna do the final the absolute final episode of Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, I was going to do with Terrence. Uh, because obviously, you know, the breakdown of my relationship with Ralph, that's not uh, possible. But I was like, well, fuck it. You know, I'll go with Plan Z. Uh, Terrence. <laughs> uh, and I, I tried talking to Terrence again, and it was just a, a Led Zeppelin communication breakdown. Uh, I let him back on the page, and it was like classic Terrence uh, <laughs> issues. That. Yeah, classic Terrence issues and problems. And uh, I didn't want that. And if Terrence is listening, uh, Terrence, I have no malice against you, but uh, 
motherfucker, you, you don't have issues. You got subscriptions. And <laughs> I don't need that. I, I, I don't want that to end the show. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best. But it's obvious uh, this shit ain't going to work out. Uh, I will always honor Terrence as an original member of uh, the podcast. But, uh, yeah, no no gag restraining order, but that motherfucker is blocked. Holy shit. <laughs> but, uh, no, I did not call the popo on Terrence. I'm sure that was his neighbor or his father. You know, who knows? <laughs> or Dennis DeYoung. Yeah, Dennis DeYoung and his father are both probably tired of him using their credit card number to buy fucking... Jethro told bootlegs from Japan and uh, it wasn't me so yeah no that that is a falsehood that is fake news but uh, I wish Terrence nothing but the got that clarified though very good yeah there you go alright well you know fuck it I mean there's so many places we could go in this show but the whole idea and this came from Ryan who, who, you know, generously donated to uh, a previous Rock and Pot Expo. He said, fuck it. He's, he's like, man, we got to do Van Halen. And we got to do Van Halen top 25, top 40, fucking top 50. And I was like, did they do 50 songs with Dave? Because that's all I care about. Uh, you know, but, but Ryan, you set this up and you came up with an incredible bracket. And I'll let you probably explain it better than me. Uh, <laughs> But we picked like a top 40, I believe. Yep. Then it got whittled to 25. But we're going to get there a a little bit later. But, you know, 2020 has been a fucking horrible year. I mean, we lost Neil Peart. We lost fucking Eddie Van Halen. I mean, I know there's a lot of others I'm not thinking of right now because I'm drunk. But, you know, we lost what most people know as the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Ralph and I broke up. Uh... You know, it's been a shit year. People losing their jobs, COVID, all this shit, you know. Hopefully we lose Trump. That's just me. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's been a rough year. And, and and so an episode like this, I'm so like, yes, excited about. And to be with you guys that are family to me uh, means a lot. And uh, But let's talk about how we first discovered Van Halen, you know, you know, a little synopsis of what they mean to us. And, you know, Ryan, this baby is all yours, so tell us a little bit how you discovered this band and why they mean what they mean to you. Alright, so, I mean, other than the Beatles and, you know, some other stuff, like, you know, maybe Elton John and stuff like that that I heard when I was a little, little kid from my parents, Van Halen was, like, really the first big other than the Beatles, big band where I was kind of obsessed with them. And um, it was very young. I mean, I was literally like seven, eight years old and uh, visited my cousin who was about 10 years older than me in Detroit for a summer. And she would go out and hang out with her friends all day. And when she was out with her friends, me and my brother would just raid her record collection. And at the time, she had Van Halen 1, she had uh, Cheap Trick at Budokan, she had... uh, kiss alive so i mean she was really a huge huge part of how i kind of formed my entire musical taste um and i literally to this day can still remember like sitting and listening to van halen one with my brother and like we were like what what are we even hearing it was you know we hadn't heard anything like it before and it was just you know jaw dropping at the time but you know became obsessed with that album but you know interesting you know because i was so young i think 
that was the summer of 79. So Van Halen 2 was already out at that point. Um, but uh, I kind of just in weird order after that started buying the back catalog. But it took a while because, you know, at seven years old, you're not buying, you're not hearing an album and then going, oh, I'm going to go buy the rest of the catalog. You know, at that point, maybe get one, two albums a year, you know, for Christmas and my birthday. Um, so I think the next order I went, I I got Van Halen 2 for like Christmas that year because it was pretty new at the time. And then I went, uh, and then just a little after that, because it would have been about 81, a fair warning came out. And that's when the three big Van Halen videos, you know, the live videos from Oakland with uh, Hear About It Later Unchained. Um, and so this is love. And it had been probably a year and I was still listening to Van Halen a lot, but that like completely reignited it. And that's when me and my brother just became like, like just out and out Van Halen freaks. And then we went and bought Diver Down and we went and bought Women and Children First. And, you know, from that point on, I was buying everything the day it came out. But, you know, even Diver Down, I didn't, um, I didn't have uh, until after it came out. Um, and Women and Children First until, uh, you know, pretty significantly after it came out. So really the first Van Halen album that I bought when it was new was 1984. Um, and then, you know, I even attempted to, to go through the uh, Sammy years, but fizzled out on that pretty quickly. I bought the first two albums, heard OU812, and I was like, okay, I'm done with this. And for about a decade, I have to admit, like Van Halen kind of faded just because I was so turned off by the new version. I really wasn't listening to uh, Van Halen as much as I had. Um, and then uh, when the 96 thing happened, that's when it kind of like came back like full force where I like went back and just started listening to all those albums again and again and again. And pretty much from that day forward, I've been there on my Mount Rushmore uh, with Beatles, uh, Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, uh, and I probably throw a Soundgarden in there as a fifth, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my Van Halen story. Uh, Edwin, you want to give yours? Yeah, sure. Uh, a couple years younger, so when, uh, like I think people in my generation, uh, I was a child. I was in elementary school when 1984 came out. So, and but I had an older brother who was into music. He's like five years older than me, and Jump was it was Jump. You know, I saw the video for Jump as a kid, and immediately that there was a connection because you know eddie van halen my name was eddie you know i was called eddie when i was a little kid and he was an eddie and he was a cool dude playing guitar and first time i saw david lee roth in that video and that song and yeah it was even as a child i knew wow this is awesome and my brother he had the cassette the, the cassette 1984 and he played that a lot i'll be honest it was a couple years later when he started getting cds it was i know ian's gonna hate this but it was 5150 that my brother bought <laughs> And he, my brother played the shit out of that album. Like I, so that's a big part of my childhood. May, in some ways, maybe even more than '84, because he was just playing "5150" 50 a lot. Uh, he also was playing "Back for the Attack," so you know it wasn't all bad. But he played "5150" 50 a lot while he was lifting weights, and he was in high school while I was still in elementary school. Uh, so all I really knew about Van Halen was was uh, 1984 and "5150." 50, you know, their popular side. Uh, when I got older and I was in high school and I started to kind of carve out my own taste in music, which I found I was like into things that had a little more of an edge and 
things that were a little rootsier and I like was very into like Aerosmith and ACDC and Guns N' Roses and then just starting again into thrash like Metallica and Testament. And I think it was around that time, I think it was the very early 90s where I saw that clip, you mentioned it, Ryan, uh, of Unchained on Headbangers Ball. They showed uh, the you know, from the Oakland Coliseum video. Yep. And that was like the first pre-1984 Van Halen I saw. And I forget who it was. It wasn't Ricky Rackman. It was that other, we had, they had that bald guy that was kind of like a punk. The so, like, kind of, he was supposed to be like the edgier guy on the show. Do you yeah, know what I'm talking about? They had Kevin Seal for a while, and then they had Adam Curry. It wasn't Adam uh, Curry. This was more like the uh, grunge era. Oh, you're talking about Matt Penfield, the fat, bald guy? Yeah, that, the fat, bald guy. I think it was the fat, okay, bald Matt guy. So, maybe, so this might even be like maybe 93 or 92. I was in high school by this point. So I was already like into grunge and stuff. But and he talked about it like he did a little like uh, a little preface for Van Halen saying, you know, whether you're into grunge or thrash or hair metal. And this was still that period where you saw a little bit of all those bands and things happening on the Headbangers Ball. There was kind of like a cultural war on Headbangers Ball in like the early 90s. And he said, well, what, no matter what kind of music you're into, you should like early Van Halen. And then he presented and they showed Unchained. Unchained, just that video, that performance, that song just blew me away. And I was like, fucking, this is like the greatest rock song I ever heard. This this band's insane. Look at them. Uh, this is you know this ain't jump. This is like you know something totally different. And I immediately went out and got Fair Warning. So Fair Warning was actually my first Van Halen album as a teenager, and that I became obsessed with that album. And I was like, and it's still my favorite Van Halen album, and it instantly was. And I got uh, I think quickly after, like maybe a few weeks after, I got uh, two and uh, Women and Children first and then eventually I got the first one. I didn't actually get Diver Down until many years later. It wasn't until, like, the remasters. When was that? Like, the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, I think it was actually 2000. Yeah, it yeah. was Yeah, it was much later, because the reason why I held back on Diver Down was because the only two songs I knew from it were, like, the cover songs, Pretty Woman and Dancing in the Street, and I wasn't, like, really crazy about them. And there was a rep, like, amongst headbangers here, like, oh, Diver Down's just covers. So, like, if I had known that there was shit like Hang Him High and stuff on it, like, I, I would have ran out and got it. But I just thought it was all covers, you know, so I didn't get that album. But I had everything else, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, with the David Lee Roth years. And I, you know, for a period, I became very obsessed. The thing is kind of like also what you were saying, Ryan, because I wasn't so into Van Hagar, and that was the current Van Halen at the time. Like, this is like, a, you know, the poor unlawful, unlawful porno knowledge period. So yeah. the current Van Halen wasn't doing it for me. So I kind of thought of them. They were like an old band. This was a band in the past. I could listen yeah. to five albums, but that's it. It's just going to be those like at the time, five albums. And then I realized six albums and that's it. It wasn't like ACDC or Motorhead or, or Metallica or other bands where I was looking forward to their next album. So because of that, I think by the mid and late 90s, not until, the, not until those uh, remasters came out, uh, kind of Van Halen kind of fell back a little bit. But then when those remasters came out again, I got, you know, the first six albums again and reunited my love. And yeah, I think they're one of the greatest American rock bands. I love them. They're, def they're definitely in my top 10. You know, they'd be in my top five if they kept doing music with David Lee Roth after 1984. But they only got those six albums. But the, plus, 
obviously the later one, which we'll talk about later, which is also awesome. And now I consider, well, that's part of the canon now also. So it's seven albums. Uh, those seven albums are seven of the greatest rock albums ever. And I love this band very deeply. And, you know, the sad thing about Eddie's passing is, you know, it's sad, of course, that we're not going to get more Van Halen music. But, of course, it reignited my love and got me listening to them again after maybe a few months of not listening to them. And the music's always going to last. And it's just, it's amazing. It's just this list, the songs that we're going to be talking about, they're all some of the greatest rock songs ever written. It's amazing stuff. Absolutely, man. Yeah, just touching on what you were saying about the fair warning thing real quick. Um, I think what like sparked, even though I'd already had Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2, at that time, you got to remember, this is late 70s, early 80s, there wasn't a lot of video. So I, I didn't have a visual, or at least a live moving picture visual of Van Halen until the Unchained and So This Is Love videos. And it was like, it took, I already liked the band a lot, but when I saw the visual version of it, you know, in live motion, rather than just pictures on an album cover, it was like, holy shit. Like, they were awesome enough, just the audio, and then you get that visual, those live, that Oakland recording is so good. And it's just like, you know, larger than life band. I hadn't seen them move until then. And it just, it took it to a whole new level. And that's the thing, just one other thing I want to uh, piggyback on that is, like, keep in mind, even in the early 90s, mind you, like, this is, like, the grunge era and post-thrash stuff, that still had an impact to me. As a teenager, I watched that video, and it was competitive with what was going on in the 90s. I was like, and I think it it, it did help that it was fair warning material, because that stuff was darker, you know, a little meatier and darker. So even though I do love the party stuff, too, I think at that time, as a teenager, kind of in the thrash, you know, grunge era, it helped that my Gateway album was like a darker album, was Fair Warning. I think that needed to be kind of the album at the time. Yep. And and it was competitive. It was competitive with like Alice in Chains and Metallica when you saw Unchained. And yet there was this showmanship. And it wasn't like corny, like hair metal bands. Like the way I equated a lot of my brother's hair metal bands they liked was it seemed fake. And kind of like these are kind of douchey guys just doing doing an act to get women and money. Whereas Van Halen definitely loved women and money as well. But there was something more visceral and organic and real. Like even David Lee Roth, even when he does like the splits in the air and stuff, there was something that was just primal and kick ass about it that didn't make it seem like they were just some old hair band. It, it seemed like this was primal party rock and roll, but deeper darker parties like this is the kind of party music for like degenerates you know something darker and meatier about they were they were the motorhead of cock rock you know they were legit you know uh johnny b man talk to us well um i i got turned on uh to van halen by my dad my dad's a guitar player and um big fan of Eddie Van Halen and he had the the Roth albums on vinyl and I used to listen to all his records you know what I mean when I was a kid we had a big record you know he had a huge stereo system record player tape player in our living room I remember listening to those records and I love those records he loved those records um and can I I interrupt for one second Johnny real quick every time I'm listening to episodes I always ask this question in my head and wish people would answer it and we can just knock it out real quick. I want to know, just like each of us, how old each of us is, because it play it 
makes much more sense to me for ages and everything when I hear how how old somebody is. So I'm, I'm 47. Johnny, I know you're a little bit younger. Yep, 39. Okay. So, but I mean, I got into, um, so, so my dad was a big fan of Van Halen, so I was a big fan of that too. But I got into um, really listening to like MTV and, and I know I've told this story on the podcast, girls, girls, girls era music, like 1987, like girls, girls, girls was the first like video I remember watching on MTV with like a babysitter who just sat around the house and smoked cigarettes and watched MTV all day. I mean, so I was like eight years old at the time. And, uh, and I remember like that, that was the David Lee Roth, like just like paradise era. And I gravitated like towards Dave. Like I loved like skyscraper was huge for me. Dave was huge for me just because of the, the bombast and the personality. And, um, I love Van Halen. I love Dave. I mean, um, I remember, I do have a vivid memory. I used to trade tapes with people. And I remember my dad had, he had the Roth records on vinyl and he bought 5150 on cassette. And I was going to trade a, a cassette with somebody else. And I was looking for something to trade. And he, he handed me 5150 and he said, and I had listened to it. And I didn't think like, at that point in time, I wouldn't say like I was a hater. It wasn't really anything that I thought was... He's like, here, trade this. Trade this with somebody. I don't even remember what I traded for, but he just, that's thats what he thought of 5150. So that planted the seed in my head right there of. Your, your dad was a wise man. Yeah, like, this is, this is, get rid of it. Um, and then I, I did go through, like, you know, I really did stick with, I got into the grunge scene, but I always stuck with, like, my wheelhouse, you know, Doc and crew. You know, I, I did, you know, I love Pearl Jam. I love Soundgarden, but I always did um, love Van Halen, but they didn't really become my favorite band till, like, I mean, you guys talked about, till I, I got the visual to go with some of the audio and to be able to watch the concerts, you know what I mean? And um, then, you know, when, when uh, Dave came back, was like like since 2008 there's been nothing like van halen's been my favorite band bar none you know and i i think they're just the greatest american rock band ever can't be touched in my opinion yeah i like that all right well uh you know i know i've talked about this in the past uh my dad was a van halen fan you know my dad was very always had his pulse on rock and roll and what was going on it didn't matter what his age was you know this was the guy that you know he was into chili peppers at 39 before i knew who the fuck they were you know and he knew fucking public enemy before i did (laughs) you know my dad was always very hip very cool about what was going on and uh and he loved the david lee roth era um so it was kind of like you know it was my dad's music but i never turned my back on what my dad liked i was it always influenced my opinion but i remember when i would hear other kids play van halen i have vivid memories of when i used to ride around my small town on a big wheel (laughs) you know and we used to have this basketball court where all the old kids you know to me you know they were in high school but to me they were old kids uh, they would go up to the basketball court and they would 
open up their cars and blast the car stereo and and play basketball and play all this awesome music and we were just little kids driving by on our big wheels but i remember you know those kids blaring van halen one and how awesome that was and like oh yeah my dad's got this record that's awesome and you know my dad was always excited about van halen until fucking sammy came in he's like oh fuck this shit um but I really, my love for Van Halen when I became full-fledged, like, oh my God, this is the best, was 84. You know, but 84 came out when I was 10 years old. 46 now. Uh, but I was like, oh, they're they're my band too. They're not just my dad's band, they're my band. You know, this is my shit, you know, they're all over MTV. And, you know, so I had this like little window of when they were my band and then they split up and they get Sammy. And I, I still tried. I still tried. I, you know, I, I bought every album through the live album, you know, and that's when I had my breakdown. And, and that's when you know, I've talked about this many times. I heard Sammy sing the Dave songs. and I was like, oh, this, you know, this is, you know, blasphemy. This is terrible. This is horrible. Um, but Van Halen was always really special to me. Uh, Kiss was my favorite for years, and then as I got older, I kind of saw Kiss for what they were. Uh, you know, K- Kiss to me is like I still love Kiss, but Kiss is a training bra. You know, they they, they they get you ready for really good music, but it's a great introduction to get people into rock and roll and into hard rock. But Van Halen is just on another fucking level. I mean, this is quintessential Americana fucking rock and roll with the ultimate front man uh, a guitar fucking genius an underrated drummer and a solid ass bass player with phenomenal background vocals it was the full bug you know it was everything in one fucking band what this band accomplished in just six fucking albums and I, I still love A Different Kind of Truth too but what they did in those six albums I equate to what the Beatles did, you know, in virtually the same amount of time. You know, this is a band that was so good it almost had to implode uh, because of the genius there, the genius in uh, the music, in, in in the delivery, in the lyrics, in the the total package. You know, they it was fucking the mighty Van Halen. And they deserve that moniker, the mighty Van Halen, because this is a band that took it to another level and has been imitated, at least in America, I think more than any other band in hard rock and heavy metal. You know, you've had bands that tried to copy Kiss and do the shock and the shtick and all that shit, but look how many bands tried to copy Van Halen and failed miserably. You know, with, with you know the fuck me, suck me songs, but they never had that edge that David Lee Roth had. They never had the word wordsmanship. I mean, that I think like David Lee Roth and Bon Scott are, are tit for tat right there. With yeah, it's sexy and there's like a guttural kind of speaks to the common man, but there's a, some some intelligence there too. And and then you just had the musical prowess of, of the band itself was so fucking tight and so amazing. I mean, they, to me. I've, I've said this a gazillion times on the show. I think the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. The Rolling Stones are the greatest rock and roll band of all time. But Van Halen is the greatest American band of all time. 
And there's some great American bands, you know. Love Me Some Aerosmiths, Cheap Trick, they're, you know, Kiss, Classic Kiss. There's all kinds of shit. But nobody had what Van Halen had. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's so unfortunate that, you know, it, it blew up when they were at their, you know, their absolute peak. But um, it is Beatlesque. It is Beatlesque, like you said. The, the, you have three musical geniuses in a book, yeah, and the tension that's there from day one. I mean... <laughs> I'm yeah, just it, laughing. It, Poor it Mark, kind of Michael hard. Anthony to Ringo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say that. He's totally the fucking Ringo. But you know what? The Beatles ain't the Beatles without Ringo. And no. Van, Halen, Van Halen without the fucking Pollock on bass singing those high background vocals. I totally uh, agree. I think they're both underrated. Ringo and Michael Anthony. They both played their yeah. role in the band. And it's just amazing. And what I love, you know, especially like, you know, I, I did some stuff today. It's my day off, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. And then when I find out concrete time, I wonder we're going to set this. And uh, I, I, I told this great woman I was talking to, I was like, look, I need a little time to get ready for this episode. You know, I need I need my Van Halen time. And I'm just listening to it. And all these songs, and I went through every album. I, I don't think I, I got to make it to Different Kind of Truth before we had to start. But I'm just cherry-picking all these songs. I'm like, they all stand the test of time. They all sound fresh. Nothing sounds dated. You know, nothing is like the keyboard sound from fucking uh, Final Countdown. You know, like 5150 is. With the robot drums, you know. The original six-pack stands the test of time as some of the greatest fucking American music ever fucking made. And and that and that's why you see that now, you know, no matter how many times Sammy goes on fucking blabbermouth and oh number one albums, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. Look what still sells to this day. Look what lights the fire under people's asses. That's real Van Halen. This just fireball, this perfect fucking match of David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen. And I'm not taking anything away from Alex. I'm not taking anything away from Michael. But it's that push and pull from Eddie and Dave that... You go on social media since Eddie Van Halen has passed away and you look at the tributes that people are putting out. It's that era. It's Roth era. You don't oh, see yeah. from the other era. Bear, it's yeah. 90-10. 90%. 10% from what I've seen. Yeah. I, I mean, it just, it, it speaks in volumes. And, uh, you know, it, it's weird. It's like, I almost look at Eddie and Dave as, as parents to me. You know? and who, Parents who got divorced. And I just said, fuck it, I want to go live with dad. And my dad is David Lee Roth. <laughs> you know? And, right, and Eddie, right. And, and, and Eddie married a guy I couldn't stand. Sammy Hagar, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and it, and it sucks, but you know, I wish there's a way that people could look at it differently. It would be like, look at it differently. Have, have you watched the, the last show in the Hollywood Bullion? Oh, yeah. I, I love it, man. And when How, how mad? It's like mom and dad got back together and everything is good. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I look at it, you know, people are like, Oh, you, it's like fucking kiss hearts. Oh, you gotta love every era and all this shit, you know? But 
no, think about it this way. Say, say, say we're living in an alternate universe where David Lee Roth kicked out Eddie Van Halen and he's replaced by fucking C.C. DeVille. It's not the same, you know? And they got a C.C. DeVille singer in Sammy Hagar and it's not the same. And, and Eddie can still write some classic riffs and stuff. Like, you know, I hear something like Black and Blue off OU812 and I am like, God, what Dave could have done with that. And I remember hearing fucking Pound Cake for the first time. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then fucking Sammy kicks in and ruins it. I'm like, oh, but what if Dave was there? Yeah. You know? But it's like if the Beatles, like, uh, they just John Lennon left it. They replaced him with, with, like, a guy from, like, Country Joe and Fish, you know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what it is. There's something about the original lineup that is the perfect guys for the perfect time that created timeless fucking music. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, we're lucky, man. We're lucky we lived in an era where we get to know this music, where we grew up with it. And, you know, I think back to when I saw the original reunion tour. I, I, I mean, I literally cried in my fucking seat, man, because I never ever thought I would see that. David Lee Roth and fucking Eddie Van Halen on the same stage. And I'll never forget, like, leaving the show and I'm walking around the French Quarter here in New Orleans and went into a bar that's my favorite venue to go see bands and stuff. And uh, the owner of that bar is Rio Hackford, son of Taylor Hackford, very famous movie director. And he just looked at me and saw my Van Halen shirt. He's like, were you there? I was like, fuck yeah, dude. I just, you know, I, I came here, you know, and it was just like, it was a bond amongst people because we felt like the world is right again. David Lee Roth and fucking Eddie Van Halen were on stage and we just saw that shit. We just witnessed that shit. You know, and that's, and, and the world was right again for a small amount of time. You know, it's like Van Halen, man fucking Van Halen. And, 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 we, and we got we got a final album, too. Like, his final oh, yeah. album is it's with... I mean, it's, it was a little it's a little weird that Michael Anthony wasn't on it, but you got Dave and Eddie doing one last, in my opinion, great album. And who would have thought that, like, in the mid-90s, would anyone think that was even possible, you know? And that's oh, a gift. Yeah. Like, just imagine if the last album was with Sammy or some other new singer, you know, instead yeah, of yeah, Dave. Yeah. Imagine the last album was Van Halen 3. I mean, oh, it would be horrible. Out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, so at least we had that, and I'll never, you know, to me, probably my most, uh, you know, other than classic footage, is just that last show at the Hollywood Bowl, where Dave's like, you know, the best summers of my life were spent with this guy by my side. Best you know? times of my life were spent with you, homeboy. You too, yeah. Al. Magical, magical fucking moment. I still can't. I can barely hold it together, even still when I watch that shit. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. you know, the two of them never got along, but there was, I think, at the end, and and Eddie said in that one interview, I think he had just accepted the fact that the two of them had a, a chemistry that you just can't make up, and. That they had, you know, he, he he might not love Roth as a guy, but I think he knew that, like, that was Van Halen, and that's what people wanted, and he gave into it, and he, and he at least respected what they had created together. But that, I'm so with you, Johnny, on that moment. You could tell that was heartfelt from Roth. 
you know, he said he said best summers and best moments of my life, and he he truly meant that. Um, and it's just you know, again, it's a chemistry that cannot be you know made up. It, it's just random two guys that found each other, and, and the yin and yang of those two somehow made this just brilliant concoction. You know, unbelievable what came out of it. Um, you know, and as sad as it is with Eddie passing away, um, you know, just trying to put a, a positive on, on a negative, it made me happy to know that it finished the way it did. Because, I mean, let's face it, me 10 years, 12 years ago, who the hell knew how the Van Halen story was going to end? And for it to end with that last moment at the Hollywood Bowl, that's a pretty damn good ending. I mean, for as chaotic as that band was for the last 35 years, that's about as good as we could have hoped for as, you know, classic Van Halen diehards. So, you know, Sammy never came back into the picture. It ended the way it started. Um, and it ended on a pretty high note, too. You know, I mean, that was a great tour with some really great deep cuts played and everything. Um, the only negative I have of, of the reunion era to me is this. I just wish Eddie and Dave never were at their A game at the same time. The 08 tour, the 07 08 tour, Roth was spectacular. He was as good as he had been in years. Eddie was still a little fucked up. I actually saw a show in Jersey where Eddie was a mess. Um, he was yelling at his guitar tech the whole show. He was, like, kicking a monitor. You could tell he was fucked up. Um, they had some good shows on that tour, no doubt. The Philly show I saw was incredible. But um, Roth was incredible on that tour. Eddie was hit or miss. But 15 or uh, 12 and 15, Eddie played as well as he's ever played live, ever. Um, I, I, you know, I've seen video. I bootleg junkie with, with Van Halen. That's the cleanest and best he's ever played, 12, 12 and 15. Those two tours, he was just absolutely brilliant, brilliant. And again, that is also cool that Eddie played his last live shows at an absolute playing peak for him, in my opinion. I mean, uh, he never played better. He really didn't. And to give credit where credit's due, one thing, because I said even though it was sad that Michael Anthony wasn't on the last album, Wolfgang is the reason why Dave and Eddie got back together. And Hell he's yeah. tough. He's very he's got, you know, he's got some of that Van Halen DNA in him. He's an amazing bass player. And and this also shows you about how like different generations know. Like he like Wolfgang was this young kid that listened. He's like, Dad, your best shit's with this Dave guy. He's like, ah, I don't yeah. want to talk about this asshole. Let me drink my wine. <laughs> and Wolfgang's like, oh, I can't call this Dave guy behind my father's back and get this shit together. Because like yeah, he made the phone call. He made the phone call that made it all happen. Yeah, he made the phone call. And then, you know, Dave called uh, Eddie and Eddie's like, why the fuck you call me? Talk to Wolfgang about it. Hey. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like Wolfgang, this kid, this cool kid, put it together because he li- because like he listened to it like all of us. He listened to it and like listened to you know Van Halen and Van Halen Two and Fair Warning and Women and Children. It's like shit. This is fucking when my father was awesome, and this Dave guy was awesome with him. Like I'm gonna fucking because that's the stuff that you know I'm not I'm not like I like a song here or there. I'm not as much of a Sammy hater as you guys, but it's it's a different league. We're talking like apples and oranges. Like it's a band that's like a a passable. Uh, mainstream rock band with a couple good songs versus, you know, the gods playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, 
imagine if Wolfgang was a fucking extreme fan. You know, we'd all be fucked. You know? yeah, I, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, Dad keep, keep this up. Gary, Gary Sharon did the impossible. He made me, for a fleeting moment, miss Sammy Hager for just like a few uh, minutes. He was uh, pretty- uh, <laughs> guys of Wolfgang, though, there's tremendous, tremendous hope right now. Because he is such a historian of music and of that band. I'm telling you, we are going to get some great, great footage. There is so much footage of that band for for live live DVDs and, and, and things that not come out has been so tragic. And I think Wolf is going to make some things happen with a lot of the stuff that's been hidden away for years. Really do. I really hope you're right. Well, that being said, uh, we got to bring note to this that Ryan T. Russell, uh, brother, you are the instigator of this episode. This is what you wanted. And you set up something that was so painful to me. <laughs> this, this, this was hard. And I had to do this, you know, with, uh, you, know, you know, to quote the big Lebowski, uh, my lady friend. Uh, had to type this shit up for me, and I, I I couldn't breathe while I'm making this list. I'm I'm like, she's like, just shut up and pick a song, and I'm like, uh, uh, I mean, this shit was harder than a fucking priest at Legoland. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> how in the fuck do I pick, you know, you know, the top forty songs, and then you whittle that to fucking twenty five, so. Uh, let everybody know like how you came up with this idea that we're about to do and and, and how it all came about because uh, this shit hurt, man. <laughs> okay, I am with you with one hundred percent on that. I mean, it was painful. And I'll, I'll explain quick what, how we did this. the The fans of the 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 Facebook page will 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 get this immediately. I did going back. I guess it's probably three years ago now. I did this little series of things where I, it was like called like worst to first or or something like that, where we did albums. We picked a ba- I picked a band. I would do a new band each week, and I would just put it out, rank the catalog, and you know we got got one of them. I think we had like 45, 50 different people put in lists, and I just have a pretty simple math formula where I you know total up through all the rankings to get a number and then I rank them accordingly. Um, and we get what is basically a composite of everybody's votes makes up the final top 10, the final top 20, whatever. So when I paid for this episode, and this is going back like a year ago, I had contacted both Ian and Ralph and said, what do you guys think about rather than doing an album review, I, I really want to do kind of like a catalog review, and why don't we do something where we each do a top 25 of our Van Halen songs, and you know something similar to like what you guys had done with Motley Crue's worst 15 songs. I, w- I wanted to do it more with, with Van Halen's best, and I knew I couldn't limit it to 15. It, it would be impossible 15, so I said, what do we do a top 25? So fast forward a year later, and Eddie dies. And I had already been kind of thinking of, you know, getting in touch with Ian. I really hadn't, I'd been so busy. I just didn't have time to kind of buggy in about doing the last episode. You know, he, he always said, you know, listen, anybody that paid for him, we're going to, I'm going to do them, which is awesome, Ian. I really appreciate you doing that. 
But I, I, right after Eddie died, I said, hey, you remember we were talking about this a while back. Why don't we go ahead and do the, the Van Halen thing? It's a perfect time to do it. And then I started thinking, and I said, you know, because there is no Ralph, unfortunately, um, I, w- I wish he was here, but I, I get it. Um, I said, why don't we bring in some of, like, you know, the Hall of Famers? Why, why don't we, why don't we, and I, you know, I asked was cool with and he's like oh absolutely McMahon does every once in a while in wwe you got to bring in the hall of famers <laughs> <laughs> so you know i edwin and johnny you know me and two of us we, i go back and forth with them all the time not just on the page but we instant message and stuff like that so i've gotten to know those two guys pretty well and they were you know first two guys i called i apologized to a long list of other guys that i could have called because listen on that page there are a ton of great guys and a ton oh, of yeah. Van Halen oh, fans yeah. that, that that's um, something i mean when you when you told me you first position you know you said hey i want to do this and you had a great list of people and Man, I, I love everything, man, that's on the page and, you know, all the longtime listeners. So, you know, if you weren't part of this episode, please don't take it personally. You know, we kind of set up a thing where, like, you can only have so many people because we're talking all over each other as it is, <laughs> you know, if, if you have more. But, you know, I wanted I wanted to keep that spirit of the family, you know. And, and hey, man, I wish Ralph was here, too. You know, I really do. You know, I, I hate that the show's going out like this, but it is what it is. I'm going to make the best of it. And I want to honor all you guys who have been here throughout the years. And man, when you sent me the list of, of people you wanted included, man, I, you know, I was like, God damn, that's a good fucking list, you know? <laughs> and, 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 I, and I'm honored, you know, this show has always been about you guys just as much as it was about me and Ralph, you know. We've always included uh, the listeners in the show, and I think that's what made our show so special and why we have the following that we have. Uh, you know, you guys are family, and, and, and to do this, you know, we're all fucking pissed that Eddie's dead, you know, and we all love fucking Van Halen. But we can come together and do this shit, you know, honor the mighty Van Halen, honor Eddie Van Halen, uh, you know, do all this shit, dude. I'm I'm so fucking happy to be surrounded by you guys and, and do this shit, man. It means a lot. It means a lot, and I know Ryan, you awesome. you you put a lot of work into this, man. A lot of work into this, and I've had a lot of stuff going on lately. And uh, I I was lazadaisical about fucking getting my list in, and I'm bad about typing it. <laughs> There's a very special lady out there who. Uh, I know she's listening. Uh, typed all this shit up for me <laughs> and and put up with my neurosis while I had to whittle shit down. It was it was fucking hard. It's like picking children, man. Well, she sounds like a keeper, Ian. You know, oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to keep her, but uh, you know, I got to hypnotize her first. <laughs> but uh, no, man, she helped me out, and she's like, "Motherfucker, breathe." And I'm like, ah, but this is Van Halen. You know, I'm like, I would like, you know, and I, I narrowed it down. Like I picked so many songs, you know, because we initially went with the 40 songs. And then, and then we had to like number them. And I seriously, I was having like anxiety issues because I was like, I love Van Halen. I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, motherfucker, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Breathe. Pick this. And, and I did, and but man, to do it with you guys, 
And that's the thing, man. We're all fucking suffering. This year has been so fucking shitty. Uh, but here we are, you know? Here we yep. are. We're together. We're laughing. Uh, you know, we're honoring this band that we love so much. And, uh, man, this is, this is really... I kind of got to a point with, you know, Rock and Metal Combat podcast and, you know, with Ralph and I's relationship. Uh, I started Diabolos and Podcastica, which I loved that show. I really believed in it. That came to an end, and I'm like, man, I, I, I just don't know if I have the fucking fire anymore to do this shit. But you guys have kept me going, you know, when I'm like, you're under your ass. Dude, fire runs yeah. up all back up on Saturday mornings. Come on. Do yeah, it. I know. Fucking rock and roll. A lot, a lot of shit has changed, but I, I got to tell you, lately, I, I, I've had a little bit of fire under my ass where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do, but I want to hang out with my friends, man. I want to hang out with my family, and you guys are my family. We created the thing on this page and through the podcast where we were all, we're family, man, and a lot of us have met. I mean, I've had people come and meet me in New Orleans. I've, I've met a lot of you in, in in fucking, you know, at the rocking pods and shit, man. And uh, I hate to let that shit die, man. I want to keep this shit going. We'll, we'll keep but, it. But at the same time, you know, it's like, man, me and Ralph set a fucking high bar for a show. And regardless about how I feel about him, uh, you know, I, I love what we created. And we created a fucking great show, and we created a family, and this show is a direct result of what we created. And here we are celebrating, in my opinion, the greatest rock and roll band in America of all time. But uh, I'm going off the rails here. Let let me get back, and I'll finish explaining how we did this. All four of us put in our, our personal top 40 Van Halen songs, and then I put it into my little calculator calculation the way I rank it and we came up with the definitive definitive Van Halen top 25 and we're going to count them down from 25 to 1 I'm not going to give away any spoilers you're going to have to wait in anticipation of what's left you're going to be thinking when we get down to the top 10 like god what songs are left what's going to be here but it's a it's a very eclectic list which makes sense with Van Halen because they're not just a hits band they're a deep cuts band and you know with four you know Van Halen freaks like us there's going to be a lot of deep cuts but it's a good mix it really is it's a good mix of all the albums it's a good mix of uh of all the styles of songs and everything so i'm really excited to get into it and we will kick thing have you guys anything else you want to say before we get into number 25 could i just say one thing i just sure. want to say one thing uh because you know very passionate you know about my list i was like my top 40 it's like you know what i'm sure this top 25 when ryan's done with it it's gonna piss me off a little bit and then i, <laughs> and then I looked at it and i was just like hmm yeah that makes sense science <laughs> it's like you can't be it's like yeah these are 25 amazing songs what can you say about it it's fucking awesome and i was just like yeah fucking science somehow ryan used his mathematical mind to create a scientifically i mean who could like you might put one song ahead of another or vice versa but you cannot discount the awesomeness of these 25 songs and that's what makes it a perfect list all these songs oh. are, you know, amazing songs. What can you say about them? 
and I, I, I went through this shit, you know, and I'm calling my my my, my special lady, uh, my lady friend, my honey baby sweetie doll, and, and then we're going through the list. I was like, honey baby sweetie doll. I'm like number seventeen. She's like number seventeen. Fuck you, motherfucker. I'm like, honey, don't take it personally. <laughs> so this 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 is gonna be amazing. There's no bad songs. There will be. No bad songs on this list, you know. There's no bad songs in the Lost Catalog, period. Well, yeah, I, I didn't think there were bad and any bad songs in my top four. <laughs> so. Oh, I, oh I, I know, I know, but this shit hurt. And I'm curious because I know, Ryan, you, you sent like a, a little breakdown of what you came up with. I couldn't even look at it. I saw it. I refused <laughs> to look at it. I'm like, I'm going to deal with this shit as it happens. And, and you know, whatever, wherever the chips lie whatever we're all friends we all love van halen uh but i i do i want to give a big thank you to you not only for donating to rock and pot expo and uh, not only for being a loyal fan but for all the work that you put in this episode uh i love you brother thank you let's get into this shit i'm so glad there's no hagar songs on this list <laughs> let's do it rock and roll you just gave away a spoiler ah woo <laughs> so yeah, I, obviously, Ian, the, the, uh, the feelings are mutual, brother. Love you, and um, so pumped to get this. So let, let's kick it off at number twenty-five from two thousand twelve's "A Different Ooh. Kind of Truth." As is, Ooh. I'll kick it off with with my comments on the song. Um, first of all, the album itself is, is amazing. Um, my brother said this about six months after it came out, and I thought it was kind of a perfect way to say it. He said, that album is so much better than anybody should have realist realistically expected. And it's so true. When, when bands in their late 50s, 60s do reunion projects, they're usually, you know, mediocre at best. Um, very rarely do they really kind of capture the essence of that original band. And I gotta say, I mean, a different kind of truth knocked my fucking socks off. I mean, I, I it, it couldn't have possibly, at their age and where they were at, they could not have made a better album, in my opinion. The people that have not given this album a chance, it's it's a crime. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about the album a little bit more as we go on here, but um, this song in particular, I, I think this is a song that if it had been on the album that followed 1984 with Ross still in the band, say it's, you know, 86, 87, whenever they would have made the next album, and this was a video, I think it would have been huge. It, to me, it has, you know, again, every element of the classic Van Halen, just the riffage, um, you know, Eddie is, is off the hook on this song, the solos, you know, the, the um, kind of galloping, um, drums and bass behind behind his riffs uh and then i mean roth on the song but also on this album i honestly believe a different kind of truth is roth's best overall lyric album in the entire uh, uh, i agree yeah. agreed strong agree strong agree uh, for me too just a, a couple lyrics from this song i mean and even like, you know, the little just like talking Roth moments and little breaks in songs, like a little more volume in the headphones, please. Like, I, I love that shit. Um, uh, the love of the craft or love of the buck. 
Every day down here is a rainy day. We don't save up. I mean, it's just like nobody can write that kind of lyric other than David Lee Roth. And like, yeah. it's so clever. It's so kind of off the beaten path. It's, 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 I hear Ian say this all the time. It's shithouse poet. It, it's like Greenwich yeah. Village, 1960s. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, he turns a phrase and he has a way with words that he says it completely differently than anybody else would say it. Um, even that part, like where, where it comes into like the breakdown and he goes, this next part should really confuse things. Everybody let's stay focused. Like who says that in a song? <laughs> it, it, it's fucking awesome. Um, how expensive he was or what was he worth? Ain't no Brinks truck following no hearse. I mean, hearse, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. And then, you know, you can't ignore Alex on this song. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it, Tom open where and it's a very cool kind of unique uh, Tom sound at, at that opening. I um, actually heard uh, thanks to Johnny on this. He had uh, shared a podcast. I don't even like the particular podcast, but uh, the guy who produced uh, John Shank is it who produced John? Yeah, phenomenal insight on this album. Yeah, um, very cool. Um, but like that sound it's, it's very alex but it's a little bit different and it's cool but you know it's a little bit of uh, everybody wants some kind of that tribal feel to start the song wolfie fucking kills it on this song kills it and a little note and you'll hear me do a lot of these through the episode but i will always note if there's a good live version of the song that i recommend that you can check out on youtube there is a they never played this song live in a show but at sound checks during the different kind of truth tour, they would play this without Roth. And there is an awesome video on YouTube where you can hear them just play this song instrumentally. And you hear Wolfie. I mean, Wolfie, dude, I love Michael Anthony, but Wolfie blows away Michael Anthony from a technical standpoint on the bass. I mean, he's just, he's, a much, he's like a, a, a As a bassist, yeah. I, I do, I lean a little towards Michael Anthony with the harmonies, but. No, there's no doubt. You, you yeah. can't. Yeah. Michael Anthony has a distinct background vocal sound that yeah. nobody can match. But I will say this: Wolfie did a great job. Oh, that. he he did. He was the next best thing. But I agree also as a bassist, he's he's uh, he might be stronger. Yeah. He's a monster on bass. And I mean, yeah. I also say this to be fair to Michael Anthony, because he's Eddie's son. Eddie definitely lets him kind of go off, and he's definitely higher in the mix live than Michael ever was. Yeah. Um. So he, sure. Eddie let him play. Yeah, that shit, like, in the beginning of Chinatown stuff, like, yeah, he's, he's doing all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, it's, it sounds like Sheehan playing the Betty Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this, this song, Love It. Those albums, if he wanted his bass in the mix or his guitar, because you know he played on most of that shit. Oh, on, on the older albums? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this the only song from a different kind of truth that's in the top 25? Uh, we'll have to see. Oh, but that will be mysterious here. Mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> scratch that. <laughs> that. That's everything I got, Edwin. Since you were on it, you, why don't you take this song next? As is. What do you think? I love it. It's a fucking awesome song. It's my second favorite song from the album. It's it's. You know the thing about that opening, where, where you say the tribal drums, which I was gonna say it's kind of tribal, which you know Alex has done, you know, did in the past. But that guitar sound that Eddie has, I think that intro could be the heaviest thing Van Halen ever did. Like it's not the fastest thing in the beginning, although it does get fast. But that beginning, it almost, 
Yeah, it almost sounds like the Melvin. It's like really heavy, you know, the jagged sound on Eddie's guitar. I, was like, I fucking love it. You know, I was just listening. I I made a playlist of the top 25 today, so I was getting my drink on listening to it. And I was just like, this fucking song. And the, that dark, meaty opening, and then it kicks oh, in. It kicks in, and fucking Dave, you know, I'm glad you know, both you and Johnny said, I agree. I think Dave, I mean, Dave was always a great lyricist. But on this, on a different uh, kind of truth, it's like he had this uh, retrospective of the past, you know, thing going on. So he gets... It, it's it's higher it's an even higher level of poetry and you know i you know i've been i've been rich i've been poor and you know rich is better told it's totally better you know it's it's like it, it's just amazing lyrics and this idea of a guy who's been through shit like you know in the 80s he was rich and everything was great and then the 90s happened and then he wasn't so rich i'm sure he probably had more money than all, all of us combined and, and the next <laughs> and it's the best where he says requires a degree of acceptance yeah and that's the thing and the beauty of it, it and it's all relative like to him in the 90s he was probably poor by his standards you know it's like oh shit you know i actually have to watch my money a little bit so it's all relative so to him suddenly he had hard times after the you know euphoria of what the 80s were and to go through that and then to be able to kind of reclaim it again it's like this kid wolfgang brings me back and, and and that's kind of a running theme throughout this album uh throughout a lot of the songs is this idea which i love he's leaning into it too he's embracing this idea that my life kind of turned to shit and now i'm kind of grabbing i'm grabbing like a trophy again i'm, gra- I'm getting back up on the throne again and he's embracing it for all it's worth and he's yeah, in blood and fire a lot yeah yeah blood and fu- uh, fire and he does it in this song too and it's just like He's embracing it, and he's saying the thing about, you know, why it's even better to be rich is that you just live in the moment, you know? And that's, I kind of see this song lyrically about, it's about, like, living in the moment, embracing whatever, whether it's financially or romantically, because it also touches upon some romantic ideas, that whether you're with this woman or that woman, like, you just kind of embrace whatever's thrown at you, and you try to make the best of what you got. You try to rock that shit as much as you can. And then, and this is why there was something so special between Eddie and Dave, is the music, you know, Eddie plays different when Dave's singing. You know, that's the thing. He just plays yeah. differently. He just rocks more. He's more adventurous. There's just an edge to it. And it's, and maybe that comes out of a little bit of hate and competitiveness, but it's undeniable. And it's like all the shit that they went through during their kind of dark periods, you know, and Dave not do, you know, not being, you know, the rock star he was and Eddie not being the, you know, up in his mansion drinking a lot of wine and not wanting to do music anymore and they come back in this really strong way and it's all in this one song. I mean, this it's kind of a perfect microcosm of the whole album. So, even though it was my second favorite song in the album, when I saw that it made the list, I was just like, god damn it, I'm so glad this song made the top 25. And the fact that it was a newer song that showed you that they still had it. You know, all these years later, Eddie and Dave, Alex, they can get in there and still do a classic Van Halen song that stands up with all the rest. And that's, I just love this song. It's amazing. Johnny, you want to go next? Sure. Um... This is about, I, I love a different kind of truth. I mean, I, I don't give a fuck. I like it better than Diver Down. I mean, I think it stands up with the best. Um, I absolutely love the album. This is about 
probably four or five for me. Out of Space, You and Your Blues are my de definitely my top two. Um, I love As Is. I think Alex is fantastic. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you guys both said. Just to talk a minute on the album, I'm, we're very, very lucky that we even got this album. Yeah. It, you referenced, uh, Ryan and I have a Facebook group, by the way, Van Halen Full Blast and Top Down. Great Facebook uh, group, a lot that, of content. That group has over 12,000 people. Right, a lot of people. I post this interview or this podcast a couple t a couple times a year. It, it's by a podcast called Dave and Dave Unchained, and they interview John Shanks, uh, who produced A Different Kind of Truth. Um, and it's super great insight into the process of Van Halen, and especially Dave, and Dave's process, and how just super gifted Dave is at writing lyrics and weaving in and out of Eddie's greatness. Like you could give, like I don't necessarily. Sammy, I don't necessarily think that like Sammy brought Eddie down. I just think that Eddie couldn't give Sammy a piece of music like he could give Dave, and know that Sammy could write to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that um, Dave is such a genius, and I would just highly recommend everyone check out that podcast. That podcast, Dave and Dave Unchained, interview with John Shanks. It's brilliant, and to see what uh, what they went through to make that album and how it almost didn't even come out, I'm just so thankful it did because I I think it's the best record in the last. Uh, Decade. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's one well, of my I, I, One thing I will just say, when I was looking at the list, I think one th area where it's a little different from you three guys was I, I prefer a different kind of truth to 1984. I do yeah. too. Yeah, it's it's my favorite one. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I bounce back and forth from Dr. Down. Sometimes yeah, it's my fifth favorite. <laughs> it's it, it, monstrous <laughs> heavy tracks on it. Chinatown, as is. I mean, these are the heaviest Van Halen songs. They're bangers. Sweetie Dow. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's just up the. It's just like it's like they have the canonized seven now, and this is one of this is, you know, it's the seventh album. Yeah. But if you're this guy, if you're John Shanks, you're not like Ten Templeman, where you've had the reins of these guys. You know what I mean? Since they've been, you know, young, younger kids, young adults. I mean, he was producing a band that walked into the studio as bonafide legends that didn't get along. And this guy had to make this album with these people. And he did a fantastic job, phenomenal job to even get this project completed because it was on the fence numerous times. It could have gone away very easily. Yeah, and it was cool. He talks a little bit about when he first he went up to Eddie's house and Eddie was playing them all, playing him all these old tracks he had because that's where they were kind of starting to build the album from. Mm -hmm. um, what I would do to be a fly on the wall in that, right? God, amazing. So that's what I got on as is Wadzilla on you. Uh, I, I love it. It's it's not in my top tracks on the album, and I'm probably uh, as much as I love this album. Uh, I still don't think it touches, you know, the six pack. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the production. I'm a little bit harder on John Shanks than you guys. I well, I bet, let me can it, let me just say I, I don't love the production of the album at all. Um, I, I wish Templeman had did it, had done it. Yeah. But I 
the songs are so goddamn good, I can get past oh, them. Yeah. No, uh, no, the, the songs are great. I don't hate the production, I just don't love the production. Right, no, and, and I'm, that, I'm that same way. I think, uh, you know, the smart move would have been to bring Templeman back, because I think not only uh, does Templeman still have the respect, but Templeman, you know, uh, he could have said no, maybe could have, could have cut a song here or there. And I'm, I'm thankful for every song that's on that album. I love the whole album. But I, I think nobody understands Van Halen and the way it should sound like Ted Templeman and Don Landy. No doubt. You know, I, you, 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 know you need those guys there, uh, especially when you have the absence of Michael Anthony. Uh, but I, I mean, just the opening, you know. Yesterday I was a bum and broke. Today I'm a star and broke. In this town, that's called progress. This is how we do. <laughs> you know, I fucking love that. You know, and that's him. Just you know, whatever. You know, it's 2000, whatever when they release this. But we're still Van Halen, and this is what we do. Uh, great song. Uh, again, I, I can think of a lot of songs on this album I like more than as is. But I still love it. And there's just this primordial, like, of this song that I love. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a bunch of guys in their late 50s, does it? Yeah, yeah, no, no yeah, exactly. It doesn't no. sound like, it, it doesn't sound like complacent guys just handing something over to go on tour. These are guys that are still, like, vital and angry and want to produce speak? something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Next track, 24. What do we got at 24? Yeah. Edwin, you, you're uh, you're introducing this one. Okay. We got a Center Swing. Ooh. Woo. With the exclamation point, <laughs> which I always love that that's there. Uh, first, uh, the first, perhaps, of, of a few other songs from Fair Warning. We'll see. Uh, like I said, this was the album that got me really into Van Halen. It's still my favorite album. And this might not even be one of my favorite. There might be a few others that I like even more than this song. But this song fucking kicks ass. And it's it's heavy. It's heavy. And this is a good uh, time to talk about how Van Halen did something that other bands didn't do. That they could be happy heavy but still like the title have kind of a swing to how they play and a looseness even though it's heavy it's like um i would think one thing even though i love thrash i'm not you know saying anything against thrash bands but there's something a little mechanical by uh about how a lot of thrash bands play with maybe the exception of dave mustaine who i actually put a little closer to the eddie van halen category of being this iconoclastic kind of guitar player but a lot of thrash plays very mechanically. It's awesome shit, but it sounds like there's a lot of effort and thought in how they're playing and how they're creating the sonics. Whereas when you listen to a song like this, you don't think about like guys sitting around thinking about how they're trying to be heavy or fast. It just, it's kind of like how the Rolling Stones play, you know? It's just, even though it's heavier or more modern music, there's a looseness to it. There's a looseness, but yet it's tight and in the pocket, like the way jazz players are. If, and I, you know, if you know what I'm saying, it's it's tight, but it's not tight in a constricted kind of mechanical way. And this is something you'll see in a lot of other heavy Van Halen songs, where it's heavy, but it doesn't sound like it's in a box. It sounds loose and free and sexy, 
even though it's heavy. And that's all over this song. And of course, it's, you know, it's it's a song where, you know, Dave says, uh, fucking, you know, she looks so fucking good. And, and at the time, you know, from what I hear in 1981, no one was saying shit like that. So that was really cutting edge right there. But even the way he says fucking, it's not like in an angry way. It's in a sexy way, you know, and that's the thing. This song's heavy, but it's sexy at the same time. And that's something that's very unique and very unique to Van Halen, that they could be fucking heavy and sexy at the same time. And this song has that in space. Johnny. Love this song. Definitely one of my favorites off of Fair Warning. Um, I had it at 20 on uh, my list of top 40. Um, just classic Roth lyrics. See my silhouette darkening your door. I mean, it's just so good. So good. Um, I'm not as big a fair warning guy as a lot of other people. I mean, I put that around four or five on my Van Halen list. I know Ryan, you and I discussed this at length, but obviously I love all, all the material. But um, Sinner Swing's a great song. I mean, get 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 out and push i mean just just classic Roth stuff like who comes up how does he come up with this stuff it's just pure genius um absolutely love the song it's absolutely spectacular um what do you got um uh, I, I, go go ahead uh i was gonna say i love the i love this song i love it. i love all of these fucking songs you're not gonna there's no song on this list where i'm like mm. uh i love it but this would probably be my least favorite on uh, on Fair Warning. But that's like the worst fucking blowjob I ever came to. You know, <laughs> it's it's like this is still really fucking good. Uh, but it is kind of weird. Like uh, both of these two songs, and I know this show is going to go on till fucking March. Uh, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> these are two songs that yeah these. That's why I bought a thirty. I bought a four pack of Heineken in honor of uh, Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Heineken. <laughs> I bought a four pack of Tall Boys and then a thirty pack of Rolling Rock because I'm on a budget. Um, but these are two songs that did not make it into my top forty. But I love all this shit. I mean, how can I say anything wrong about Cinder Swing? I can't. You know, there's songs that I like better. Uh, fucking center swing it's fucking fair warning uh i I love it but i'm interested to see what's next because i have no idea about (laughs) any of these lists i didn't cheat i didn't look i didn't want to know anything i just want everything to flow natural and uh i love this shit what's the next song i i still have to give my thing okay fuck you too (laughs) all right go ahead so i mean this song to me as edwin had already touched on there's a darkness and kind of like a fierceness to to this whole album and this song has it painted all over it it's just kind of like an attitude and a swagger and it's it's part eddie it's part Roth, but it's why why they make that great combo you know right off the bat it doesn't even start with like a verse it's all right you sinners swing and the, the first verse danger in the rearview mirror there's trouble in the wind badness bringing up the rear the menace is loose again i mean who writes lyrics like that it, it's Dave awesome it, it, absolutely and the other thing that this is the first song in the list that touches on this and there's a ton of others and it's part of what makes the unique van halen sound is you have basically a heavy metal uh piece of music 
But what Roth brought to Van Halen and made it such a cool and unique combination is he, he took Motown and soul elements and put it into heavy metal. If you listen to the background vocals in the song, you've got that kind of like lead singer to background vocals, like almost like the four tops where it's like an answer and call thing. Like he says one thing and they repeat it. Or, you know, he says one thing and they say, you know, it's almost an answer to what he's saying. Like, you know, and then they get it, get, 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 get out and push. I mean, tell me you can't hear like one of those, you know, Motown bands like singing something like that. He, he brought that element to heavy metal and, and the mixture of that, who would have thought that that could work? It was never tried before this, as far as I know. Um, but it's all over Van Halen's music, you know, where the, the, the harmonies and the background vocals are singing in a chorus or, or a line and the lead singer is just kind of riffing around it. And that's what Ross always doing during these songs. And I, this was the first song in this list that kind of uses that element, but there's a ton more to come. But that's one thing I always loved about the dynamic of Eddie's music. He makes this bed and then the way Roth interprets it and, and throws a completely different color into it. It's what makes that crazy chemistry. And, and to me, probably as good or better than anybody you can think of. I mean, even if you go to, my favorite band is the Beatles, but McCartney and Lennon basically wrote their own songs, lyrics and music. So the difference with DLR and Eddie is they really had to write songs together. Um, and I put them above anybody else as far as like, guy writing lyrics to somebody's music i i don't like anybody better when it comes to that true collaborators yeah absolutely all right so uh let's get to 23 ian's gonna kick this one off and this one is the first entry from 1984 drop dead legs oh my god do i love this song this is uh this is sex personified and van halen did that really good like Man, you really, you really want to fuck a chick, you know, and and just get that rhythm where it's it's like a piston, you know, like like you know, one goes one way, one goes the other, and you get in that rhythm. That is drop dead legs, and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget going to see uh, David Lee Roth. It was it was the fucking Sands Halen tour, the one with Sammy Hagar. And I stayed out in the beer garden the whole time Sammy was playing until Michael Anthony came out. And then I went and watched those two songs because I thought, okay, I'll never see Michael Anthony play live. I at least got to go see these two. But anyway, uh, you know, see the show Dave closed. It was fucking incredible. Almost got into a fight. How Van Halen is that? Uh, but we're walking out and somebody's playing, you know, coming out of this fucking piece of shit Camaro is Drop Dead Legs. And then the guy changed his song. And my best friend ran over and just started cussing him out calling this motherfucker everything but white. Like, how in the fuck do you shut off Drop Dead Legs? And I was in complete compliance with that because how... Drop Dead Legs, dude. I mean, how is this not higher on the list? I have no fucking idea. This is Van Halen through and through... Bright white teeth, Betty Boop. I mean, god damn, just the way he does that, 
the way he sings it, this is a fucking song, man. This is the way you lay the fucking pipe. This is a soundtrack. You know, if you've got a girl in your bed, you're playing Drop Dead Legs, and you don't seal the deal, that's on you, motherfucker. You know, that ain't on her. This is a lay the pipe song. It's Van Halen. It's sex. It's rock and roll. It's Americana. Lyrically, sonically. I mean, this is a quintessential Van Halen song, and I'm quite disappointed that this is 23. Um... Love this fucking shit. Uh, what do you think about this one, Edwin? Well, you know, it still made the top 25. <laughs> it's in there. Uh, but yeah, this is my third favorite song from 84. Uh, but a strong third. Very strong third. I love this fucking song, too. Uh, I say it's got, even though it is very quintessentially American, it's got a little bit of an ACDC kind of groove and Zeppelinish at times, which I love. I love both those bands. Uh, I think it's also everything you said is true. It's very sexy. Like I was saying, Van Halen's a very sexy band, and this has got that mid-tempo. It's a fucking song, like you said, Ian. I love the guitar tone. I think it may be one of the reasons why 84, even though I do love it, and it's a great album, but why it's my least favorite of the six-pack, it's not even because it's popular. I feel that the brown sound is not as prominent on this album throughout as on the others, but... On this song, it definitely is. That's the brown sound. Eddie's guitar tone's a motherfucker on this. I love it. It's a great song. Pretty much, you know, Ian summed it up. It's it's fucking hot. You know, you want to fuck a bitch to this song. It's great. It's Van Halen. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> well, the reason why it's probably 23 is because it didn't make my top 40 list. Oh, Johnny. Oh. Oh, I, I, I oh. totally would have thought this was a Johnny Vogan top ten. Absolutely, Mister oh, Nineteen Eighty Four. So hard. I <laughs> love the song. I love. I love all the songs that didn't make that list. Um, uh, does your wife know she's just a beard? Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe she does. I don't know. I have oh. to ask. But I, I love the song. I think it's great lyrically. Lyrically, it's great. I mean, it's mid-tier for me on, on 84 I mean probably somewhere in the middle I mean it was awesome awesome that they brought it out in 2015 for that last tour I mean fantastic I mean when I saw them on that last tour Dave did a great job um, I thought it was one of his best lyrical performances of the tour um, love the song I mean it is, it is pure Van Halen pure pure sex and, and just a great song but I mean you got to make some cuts somewhere. So this was one that didn't make my top 40. Ryan, what do you think? Um, this is the first song list that has, I mean, there's dozens of them in the Van Halen catalog, but this is the first one that has one of those classic Eddie intros that almost is kind of a separate piece from the song. He does that all the time where he kind of just plays these little, you know, intros to songs and then it gets into it. Uh, Alex is the star on this song. Um, he has some great little drum drum runs in here. At the end of the first uh, verse, Eddie Eddie finishes up with din 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 and then it's that little uh, break is so cool. Uh, when I saw them live, and there's a good uh, YouTube video of this um, coming out of that part, Roth goes stripper trash 
And that's what this this song is to me. This song should be played at a strip joint, and a girl should be dancing to this song. I mean, it it should be like the strip joint national anthem almost. Um, Awesome groove, just sleazy. Um, just didn't love it. It's just, it's such a, and it's a change of pace on this album. It's very different from anything else on 1984. Uh, and the outro, uh, just kind of Alex and Eddie riffing off of each other is awesome. Eddie, or Alex plays very heavy on the cymbals on this song. If you listen to that outro, um, it almost sounds like they double tracked it where he's playing the, the bell on the, on the ride cymbal and also playing the hi-hats at the same time. Um, and it almost, if you listen to that section of the song in the mix, the, the symbols are almost on top of everything else. Eddie's just kind of riffing in the back of it. But listen to the end part of that song. It's really interesting the way Templeman produced that. Um, but it is all symbols and really heavy. And I, it's something I always kind of noticed, but I, when I was just kind of listening to the top 25 to kind of make notes, it really stood out to me because I was listening to it on headphones. Um, but uh, awesome song uh, and you know well worthy of, of the Van Halen top 25 okay so moving on to number 22 and Ian is going to kick this one off as well the first entry from 1982's Diver Down The Full Bug oh man uh, The Full Bug what a fucking uh quintessential Van Halen song and Diver Down's an album that's really all over the map I I mean you know who did covers back then like Van Halen did and there's so many on this album and uh, to me with the exception of one they just nailed it but then you got the full bug which is like that is Van Halen at its core it comes out of Big Bad Bill of Sweet William now, and then you go into this, and it's just, oh, it's it, it's so fucking Van Halen, and I feel like it is the quintessential lost Van Halen song, because I'm now like Diver Down that is so weird and diverse. This is the one that could have fit on any, you know, Van Halen album, and. It's got the fucking sex appeal. It's got the beat. It's got the guitar. It's got the vocals, the lyrics. Uh, just, man, just hear that song and tell her you were going to give her the best part of a man. Yeah. What a great lyric. That, that, is, that is so Van Halen, so David Lee Roth, but, I mean, it's got the... It's got the Roth lyric and, and, and the Van Halen music to back it up. Uh, I mean, to me, that should have been a single. That should have been the one everybody knows instead of dancing in the fucking streets. You know, it's, it's like when they think, you know, Diver Down, they should think the full bug. It's, it's, it's a perfect fucking Van Halen song. I love it. Next. Go ahead, Edwin. All right, well, I think I'm with Ian with uh, Dancing in the Streets. Is that your least favorite song from the album? Oh, it, it's my least favorite Van Halen song of all time with the David Lee Roth on vocals. This is the thing about that song. I just want to say one thing about Dancing in the Streets. I don't even like the original. You know, and the original is better in all the shitty covers. But for some reason, this, like, 
just average R&B song from the early 60s. So many fucking people covered it. And they're always like the worst song from the artists I love, you know, and even Van Halen. If if, if Mick Jack or David Bowie can't make it work, who's going to make it work? It's a cool little synthesizer beat and I understand I understand Eddie's pain when he's like oh I wrote that and I wish it was a, a different song because it probably would have been a better song it would have been like a kind of pre-jump hit by Van Halen with better lyrics that David Lee Roth would have written if they allowed it to be an original song but instead it became fucking dancing in the streets so yeah and that's one of the reasons what the, why I didn't get you know Diver Down until the remasters now that being said the other covers I enjoy, and the originals are all amazing. And I, the only thing I will say is that the, even though I do like the other covers, with the exception of that one, the originals are so much better that you're like, why is Van Allen even fucking with covers? Because their originals are on such another level. And the full bug, it's not. Uh, there's a couple originals that I do like a little bit even better in this one, which we may or may not get to, but. This is it's great. It's it's the bluesier side, which we've heard even going back to Ice Cream Man, you know, and uh, Take Your Whiskey Home, where they start off the acoustic thing and then they get into it. But they don't do blues in a kind of old school way. They do it a little more like um, late seventies, you know, eighties ZZ Top. It's very it's very modern. It's like modern blues that has its own unique identity to it. And the lyrics are great. The guitar playing it, it has that looseness, but it's fast and. It's sexy. It's great. It's a great song. It's 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 the full bug. It's fucking awesome. Johnny, love the full bug. I mean, agree with Adam totally. It's got that ZZ Top blues feel that almost borders on like getting into that metal territory with them. I mean, I I feel it should have been a little bit higher up in the track list, honestly. Of uh, Diver Down, um, I had the full bug at 23 on my list. Love the song. I mean, it's interesting now. I mean, Dave intros that guitar part, right? Yep, that's him. And but you can't, but th- th- it blends so seamlessly into Eddie that you, unless you know, you don't know. Like when you listen to that, you don't know. Like that Dave does that intro, and then Eddie starts cutting in, but it blends so perfectly. Great job of production. But I, I will also say, I will defend Dancing in the Streets. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, defend it. I, I like Dancing in the Streets. I don't think it's the greatest cover they ever did on the album, but the live version, like if you look at the Us Fest footage of Dancing in the Streets or some of their live live uh, versions of it, it's electric live. I mean, they, they hammer that shit. I mean, it's way different live than it is on the album, and I think, I think they killed it. It's definitely not one of their better covers, but I still enjoy it. I still enjoy the song. I think it's good. So that's what I got. All right. Uh, love that acoustic intro, what Johnny just said, and that is Dave playing the acoustic intro. Also, I, as far as I know, I think it's the only song that there was ever harmonica on a, on a Van, Van Halen song, and Dave plays that as well. Um, one, I, I always like to throw in a couple of my favorite Dave lyrics, um, and it's interesting. I see if you guys agree with me after I read this one. I, I always look up lyrics on these stupid lyric sites, and the lyrics they have on there I don't think are right. I, I, I think they miss some of these up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a lyric the way I hear it, but also I heard a great interview with Chris Cornell on Howard Stern where he made a comment about those lyric sites always having the lyrics wrong. So I'm going to 
trust that I've listened to this song enough that I have it right. But he, he says, all your dreams and visions are based on magazines. This ain't television, but it's more than it seems. Takers need a giver this much you understand. All I want to give you, woman, is the best part of it. That is fucking brilliant. I mean, it, it, I just see like a scene at a bar with a, a you know gold digging bitch, and, and and you know she she wants to take take take, give me give me give me, and he's like, yeah, I'll give it to you, but the only thing I'm gonna give to you is my dick, and, and that's it. And it's it's quintessential Dave. It's it's it, again, it has that swagger and it has that gallop, that you know that that uh that kind of chugging bass and drums behind Eddie's riff. Just awesome. Um, one of my favorites on Diver Down. But then again, I mean, as Edwin said, the four originals on Diver Down, I will say this if they even had two more originals on Diver Down, because you got to remember, with like Van Halen 2, you know, we're not talking about a band that put 12, 13 songs on every album. They, When you took out the little instrumentals other than Van Halen 1, they basically had like seven eight originals on each album so if you just edit two more originals and and we know from a different kind of truth that there was plenty of stuff that they could have played with there i just think they were rushing to get an album done and they 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 verified that but like go ahead i was gonna say that they talked about when uh you know when diver down came out they were just gonna put out the single of pretty woman and that was gonna be a stopgap uh, but it did so good that they ended up doing an album, and, and Ted Templeman was big on the covers. But uh, I, I can't think of too. I can't, big on the covers too. Yeah, and I, I can't think of a band that does better on the covers than, than Van Halen. I mean, yeah, the covers are brilliant. You know, uh, you know, I had probably at least two or three covers that were in my top forty, but they were so. Uh, you know, Van Halenized, if you could say. Uh, you know, that I'm like, they made this shit their own. Yep. Uh, they they were good at that. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Diver Down is, I don't know, to me, it, it it's a perfect album with that one song on it. <laughs> you know, just so but, much. Uh, I mean, that whole album just has such a party vibe, such a summer oh, with yeah. Um, and I, since everybody else, I, we're going to work dancing in the streets review into our top 25. <laughs> everybody else commented on it. I don't like it. Um, it's one of my least favorite Van Halen songs. But I do think the, the musical bed that Eddie wrote for it is pretty cool. It's different. And I, I'm with couple other people who said it i would have liked to have heard what that song turned out into if they made it an original no i i agree like i I feel there's a great pop rock song that might have been the first top 10 van halen hit before jump if they had because i feel like eddie and dave would have wrote a better song than that for at least like 82 it would have been coming on your sheets or some shit yeah I mean, that's the thing. Dave and, and, and the boys, they created great melodies and hooks. Like, they didn't need to go to old hooks. Like, that's so... And when I hear that great synth hook, yeah, it's a great synth hook. I feel like, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather have heard just them go off and create their own Van Halen song. That's just, you know, my thinking when I hear that song. You know, that, that, that's why I wish Templeman would have been there for a different kind of truth, because 
as much as he was like, you know, the old, like, oh, if you redo a hit, you're halfway there. But nobody knew how to track Van Halen. Like Don Landy and fucking Ted Temple. You know? Yeah, yeah the options are for Graves about Don Landy all the time. You know, and, and, and he got that sound out of him. And I mean, even if I'm being 100% honest, uh, you know, Don Landy was involved in 5150. Uh, Ted Templeman wasn't. Uh, you know, my biggest bitch besides Bette Midler singing would be like the drum sound on fucking Alex. But Eddie still sounded good, you know. 5150? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 think, I think, like, the song 5150, I love that song. Um, especially, I mean, 90% of Eddie. I mean, he, and, and I can even accept Sammy's singing on it. Um, as much as I hate Sammy, I do think 5150 is probably the best thing he's ever done. Um, there's there's two or three songs I like on 5150. Well, isn't that the general consensus that 5150 is if you had to pick a best Van Hagar album? For it would me, be it's 5150. Not a, the other three are complete. Yeah, I, I, to me, there's yeah, no comparison. It has an 84 hangover. Oh, yeah. Eddie's and, and, and I have to admit, you know, listen, you got to remember, I'm a, what was I, 86? I'm, you know, 13, 14-year-old kid. I was into it at the time. I really was. I mean, I it was Van Halen. It was Eddie. Phil loved Eddie. If you had to pick one pedophile to babysit your children <laughs> for the weekend... Uh, It'd be 5150. Uh, That'd be the pedophile. My dad, yeah. my dad told me, son... Get rid of it. I've never looked back. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's it just video tolerance. Two years time. later, I never listened to it. Yeah, I hear you there. All right, next song. Keep it moving. All right, number 21, and I will kick this one off because I have this very high on my list. And oh, this is the first entry from Women and Children First, uh, the last track on Women and Children First, In a Simple Rhyme. This is an interesting song for me uh, because this whole this song and anything that wasn't basically a single off this song were the last David Lee Roth Van Halen songs I ever heard because or or prior to 1984 um, because I didn't buy it until later. Um, So you know I I knew the hits and there were a lot of hits on this album. I basically knew everybody wants some from. uh, the movie it was in and and a couple others but I'll never forget the first time I heard this you know I had five other Van Halen albums and I was like how have I never heard this song before I was like this is like to me you get there's so many different versions of the Roth era Van Halen you've got the heavy metal you've got the kind of uh, more mellow crooner stuff you, you've got um you know the the pop rock stuff and this is one of those just perfect examples of how this head based band that was based in heavy metal could just write an unbelievably catchy hard rock pop song and this song just with again another one of the classic eddie intros where it's very mellow intro and then it starts that little you know snare al coming into to to uh, dlr riffing the harmonies on this song, I mean, he, you know, he talks about the angels singing. I mean, it literally sounds like angels singing. The, the production on this is brilliant, brilliant by Templeman. I mean, Templeman knew how to record harmonies. He had done the Doobie Brothers forever. 
and he brought that. I think he really knew how to record their harmonies perfect. And by the way, going back to kind of the, you know, the origins of Van Halen, Roth was the one that had the idea to bring all these harmonies. He was the one that had the idea, we got to get a bassist who can sing high part harmonies. He wanted to bring that element to the band. And this is no, no better example in their catalog than this on, on the harmonies. It's unbelievable, it's brilliant. Um, it, I'm not sure it's Michael Anthony playing. This is one of those songs where I really believe it's Eddie playing because the bass is out of this world on this song. If it is Michael Anthony, I apologize, but I am a big believer. And Sammy actually confirmed this in his book. He said, every single Van Halen album, Eddie plays bass on at least three songs. Um, and I think... Also I, confirmed Eruption in the Canyon as well. Yeah, I mean, that's been said many times. But there are certain little just bass runs in this song um, that are just fucking awesome. Um, and again, it's, there's almost parts of this song where the lead guitar takes a back seat to the bass, where the bass is putting the color into the song rather than the guitar. Um, you don't get that a ton with Van Halen, but on this song, big time. Um, just listen to the song through and focus on the bass. There are so many little great bass runs. Um, brilliant. Um, one thing, and it, we're going to touch on something Eddie or uh, Edwin had said earlier, um, kind of putting some praise on uh, Wolfie. One thing that, if people aren't aware of this, Wolfie literally made the set list for each of their three re reunion tours. And God bless him for it, because he put some awesome deep tracks. We've already talked about a couple of them. He dropped Dead Legs was on the 15 tour. In a Simple Rhyme was on the 15 tour. And I have to be honest, it was kind of a mess live. This song is an unbelievably kind of intricate, weird song. Um, I can see how it would be hard to play live and even harder to play because it has some really high parts for Roth that he just can't pull off anymore. But it was still cool to hear the musical part of it, but the coolest part of hearing it live, and Roth actually said it a couple times in some of the videos that I've seen, they played Growth, which is the outro of this song, which everybody that knows kind of the, you know, post bleed into fair warning they were supposed to start fair warning with growth and finish it but it just but that's such a but they he and he said in the live versions he would said just like the album and they they actually play growth which is really cool but i mean this song just has a beautiful melody um catchy hooks to it you know and that's the the thing that was so cool about Van Halen is they were this hard rock heavy metal band, but God damn, did they not have Beatle hooks? They did not, they had just catchy hooks in their songs that just, you know, grabbed you the first time you heard them. Where it's just like, I mean, this song gives me the chills at times, some of those harmonies and everything. Beautiful song, beautiful melody. Um, Ross shines on it, Michael Anthony or Eddie shines on it. <laughs> Love it. Johnny, what do you think? Love the song. I mean, made my top 40, 36. I think it's an awesome song. I think just what you said, it's like the, the precursor. I mean, Dance the Night Away was the first time they really got into that, that pop, but this is the second time they really wrote a pop rock classic song, and I think it should have been a single. I agree. I'm not a big fan of In the Cradle Will Rock. Um, ah. a song, but definitely not in my, didn't make my top 40. Um, I think this would have been a great single. I think the harmonies are fantastic. I think the lyrics are fantastic. 
But and like you said, to replicate it live, it's like trying to replicate when the levee breaks. I mean, it's so intricate and there's so much detail that went in the production. Um, good for Wolf for, for bringing out some of these deep cuts, but I mean, that was just a huge challenge. And yeah, I've heard this uh, live as well, watched on YouTube, and they didn't didn't really nail it. But um, it's a fantastic song, and I absolutely love it. Um, uh, what do you think, Edwin? Uh, this one of my favorite Van Halen songs. It, it was a little higher on my list than you. It was it was in the teens. Uh, I was surprised. I thought this would have been a little bit higher, but hey, I'm happy it broke the top twenty five. Just real quick, it's so hard. I started off with songs in the teens that ended up in the thirties, and songs ended were in the thirties that ended up at the teens. It was just a constant flip flop because I love them all so much. Oh yeah, believe me. When I was in the thirties, I was like, "This is still an awesome song." Like it feels like other bands. Like if I said a song was in their thirties, it'd be like, "That's not so hot." But in Van Halen's case, it's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's still great. It's still an awesome song." Uh, but yeah, but this is one. This has always been one of my favorite Van Halen songs. And this is another kind of song that showed you how Van Halen was different from all the bands that they inspired. Like, even though I do love early Motley Crue, like, Motley Crue could never even fucking come close to a song like this. Like, it's just, it's a it's a song that's close to, like, people, you know, you brought up the Beatles. Uh, I, I think the Beach Boys, like, that sounds, like, the, with the harmonies and melodies. And there's something, uh, there's something in the DNA of a, it, like the Wilson brothers, they were all like from a California suburb, and I always felt there was kind of a similarity with the Van Halen brothers, also from a Southern California suburb, and these melodies and harmonies and something that's very uniquely, not just uniquely American, but uniquely Californian, uh, with the way they sing and harmonize. To me, I always felt Eddie and Michael sounded a little like Beach Boy melodies, and especially in this song. And there's something spiritual about it, I feel like. It transcends, it's not, I mean, how would you even describe this? It's, it's pop, it's rock, it's something very uniquely Van Halen spiritual about it. And I love it, it's just a, it's a magical song. You listen to it and you can't even think of it kind of like a real magical song. Like some songs, you don't think about it like people sitting down and writing it and constructing it. It just sounds so natural, but it takes uh, musicianship and genius at this level to create something that just sounds so natural and beautiful. Nicely done, Ed. I, I agree. This this didn't make my top forty, but uh, whoa! You know, I, I I agree with what uh, Edwin said. You know, Motley Crue couldn't do this, but then again, Motley Crue couldn't do ninety nine loft balloons. But uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Van Halen, good. <laughs> That's the thing. This is an amazing song, and, and again, like any song, you know, from real Van Halen that missed this list, I still love. I, I absolutely love this song. Unfortunately, uh, they did not come to New Orleans on the last tour. I did not get to see him uh, play this. And, you know, everybody I know that saw this said, ah, oh, they didn't quite hit it. I don't give a fuck. I'd love to see him at least try it and miss yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I saw them twice, and even though it wasn't perfect, I was so happy they were playing it. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it does speak to the uh, the range of Van Halen and, wh- and what they could do and what other bands couldn't do. I, I mean, you know, are, are you going to see any other cock rock band do Big Bad Bill? 
You know, no, they couldn't pull it off. But Van Halen could because they had Eddie Van Halen and they had David Lee Roth. You know, these other bands cannot pull off the, that diversity of music and and the inspirations that they would draw from. I mean, there's so much stuff uh, that Van Halen did that, you know, just drew from the whole history of music. I mean, even look at the first album, you know, that ba-ba-da, shooby-doo-wah, ba-ba-ba-da, shooby-doo-ba-doo-ba-doo-wah. Yeah, and that's what, like Beast Boy yeah. type shit too, right there. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, what other hard rock band at that time? You know, Great White couldn't do that shit, you know, without burning the fucking house down. You know? <laughs> Roth brought all that. Yeah, and, and, and that is what he brought, but, you know, also you had the, the musicality of Eddie, and... You know, yeah, he would expand during, uh, you know, the unfortunate Hagar years, like with what he did. But with Roth, he would do it, but in different ways that would like not only were trendsetting, but were a nod to the past and a nod to different musical genres and shit. And 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 that's what works so great between him and Dave, because you know where Dave had his limitations. Eddie would expand, and there was this push and pull of all this different shit. Where you know, with with Sam, you just got like generic. You know, it was just like you know, you walk in the store, it says cheese. To jump in, just to jump in real quick. When when Dave talked to to John Shanks, I mean, the the process a lot was Dave was given a piece of music, and he was said, "Here's your piece of music. You write." write your lyrics, sing over the music. And Eddie could give Dave a piece with breakdowns and bridges, and Dave would come up with great shit, and I just don't think he could ever give Sammy a complicated piece of music like they they wrote in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, here's a question. I don't even know. Did, did Sammy write those lyrics in Van Hagar, or was it the... Yes. Van Halen brothers. No, 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 no. no. Sam wrote that shit. You know, like, like Dave would. Come, I mean, Eddie would come up with a riff, and he'd be like, "Wham, bam, Amsterdam." You know. Fuck, and Eddie the fuck out of here. Interruption in the canyon, saying, "I don't know how I was in a bad place. I don't know how I let some of that shit slide." It's on record. Hey, only only time will tell if we stand the test of time. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't want to take up too much time on Sammy in this, but the one just because Ian brought it up, probably the thing that annoys me more than anything that the Van Halen brothers have ever said in interviews, and and, and it also has been parroted by the entire Hagar fan base, is how Sammy somehow let them expand their sounds in ways that they were held back by David. Like, original Van Halen is the most diverse hard rock band I can even think of with the different types of songs that they had on those first six albums. I mean, they do everything from like what Ian just said, Big Bad Bill, which is like a jazz song from the 50s, to Atomic Punk, to Little Dreamer, to... Uh, dancing in the to uh, dance the night away to on fire. I mean, like the diversity of Van Halen. That was the brilliance of original Van Halen. You know, I mean, there there was no you couldn't pigeonhole them to anything. Every song sounded completely different. Yeah. Plus, plus you had the pop stuff on the '84, like you know, jumping. I'll wait, which 
oh, the two songs that most foreshadow 5150. And it showed that they could sing those songs and elevate them. Like, that's the thing. Imagine, like, Can This Be Love? It's a, it's a, I'll say this. I think it's a decent little pop song. If Dave was singing it, it would have been a decent, it would have been an pop song plus. He yeah. would have elevated it to another level. But it will, would have still been, it still would have had those hooks. It still would have been very poppy and catchy, but it would have had that extra element of wit and sardonic humor. And it just would have been, a, you know, just, he just would have kicked it up one notch, but they still would have had that song. They still would have had those poppier songs on 5150. They just would have had that, that edge and wit that they didn't have because he wasn't there. They would have had a guy that could actually write those away any fucking Sammy song, even with that synthesizer. I mean, that is just a monster. Just a monster. Not on our list, but what a great song I'll wait is. Fucking yeah, amazing. I, I, I'll say I was surprised I'll wait to make our top 25. Me too. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. A lot of good songs. Yeah, that and, just shows you when a song like I'll Wait doesn't make the top 25, we're no, really it, dealing with an awesome band. <laughs> and it, it just shows you, you know, if Dave was still around, you know, and Eddie started playing right now, Dave would be like, I'll wait and go do another line of coke till you come up with something that has balls, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and, Liz, the only thing that Sammy opened them up to is to be able to do cheesy ballads. I mean, and I'm not saying that to rip Sammy Hagar. I'm not saying that as a Sammy. No, that's my job. It's just 100. <laughs> still, this is the thing. They still could have done ballads if they, you know, I mean, look at Little Dreamer and things like that. Like a perfect example. They, you know. They did a ballad with Dave that was a cripple, Little Dreamer. That yeah. that's a ballad, but that's a powerful ballad, like the same way with Aerosmith, Take Seasons of Wither. You know, it's a powerful, necessary ballad that stands the test of time. <coughs> and with Sammy, they do shit like crying. You know, like Aerosmith would do. I mean, it's just you know, th- there's legit feeling and something that comes out of necessity, and then there's something manufactured. And with, with Sammy, you got manufactured processed cheese like a motherfucker, you know? And, and and with Dave, you got head cheese that's got all kinds of weird shit in there that shouldn't be in there, but somehow it works. Yeah, yeah. And, and the disappointment for me with Eddie during those years, Eddie went from being a groundbreaking guy who was doing stuff that nobody else was doing, making sounds that nobody else was making to kind of imitating his imitators almost to a point. I mean, it just sounded like... God rest in peace, Eddie. God rest in peace. He became a glorified Richie Sambora. He did. It was just... There was nothing groundbreaking. There was was nothing edgy about it anymore. It was just pop rock. And and he wrote some good pop rock songs, I guess. I mean, like, I, I, I think Dreams is a good pop song. But I don't want to hear it from Van Halen. Um... It's not edgy. There's there's nothing clever about it. Every song Roth added to Eddie's music made it clever, made it different, because Roth came at it from a completely different angle and approach than anybody else would. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, we could talk for hours about how horrible Sammy's lyrics are. I mean, he's literally the worst lyricist of all time. Of all time. But Ryan, what you're saying, though, is there was a rivalry there. You know what I mean? Dave knew he was going to get a great piece of music, and Eddie knew that he had to deliver a great piece of music. I think Eddie thought he could give Sammy whatever the fuck he was going to give him because Sammy walked into the biggest band in the world, yes. and we're going to 
Uh, here, here's this, Sammy. Whatever. That off raised Eddie's game. There's no doubt. Well, yeah, yeah. You got what Sammy's gonna say? He's gonna say no. He's just happy to be there. No matter right. what he says later, he's just happy to be there. He's stepping into a great gig. He didn't think he was gonna be a star again after his one hit wonder in the mid eighties. Oh, like yeah. this is yeah. he, would, he would have been, been the state fair open up for Night Ranger and but been that, great. And then you got the same thing in the nineties. You got like some one hit wonder from the nineties to do an album with. And that's the thing. What are these guys gonna do when they're in Van Halen? They're just gonna do what Eddie says and they're not gonna challenge him and they're not gonna make him you know, bring his A game and take things up a notch, like appear like David Lee Roth would have done. Absolutely. All right, let's move on uh, to number 20. I will kick this one off. This is, uh, yeah, this is the first entry from Van Halen 1. The fierce, flat-out metal, atomic fucking punk. Yeah! (laughs) This is one of my all-time favorites i have this way way up on the list uh, where the heck did i have this i had this at number five um there's a lot of love I, the music of this song again is one of eddie's coolest riffs you know the, the chugging at the beginning um but roth is the star on this song to me he, he took eddie's bed of music and the, the vibe of it and just tells this the way I vision it and a lot of Roth he plays characters in some of these songs you can tell Roth always talks about it. he was a big he was a t- you know he was a kid that sat in front of the TV watched a ton of movies all that kind of stuff there's a real cinematic thing to his lyrics um, on a handful of songs but this is one of them where he this is like this kind of I get this vision of this post-apocalyptic world where he's some kind of like uh, like savior cult guy where like there's some symbols being put on the walls and followers of his and stuff like that if you read some of these lyrics i mean there's so i am the ruler of these nether worlds the underground um on every wall in place my fierce name is hung um and just the just guttural like just mean and angry and darkness of the song is fucking awesome And, and again this is metal. I, I don't. We don't have to put it. Ross says it best. Where Van Halen, when it's said and done, is big rock, but Atomic Punk is fucking metal, and there is no, no debate about that. And, and some of Ross' screams, uh, his scream that goes into the solo, and the solo is fucking incredible. But his scream that goes, it's one of the best Ross screams ever. Next time you listen to this song, just focus and say, okay, I'm going to listen to the raw scream before the solo to see if Ryan was right. And I guarantee you, say, holy shit, is he right? That's one of the best raw, best raw screams of all time. Uh, love this song. Uh, very cool to introduce the first one from Van Halen 1 into the list. And Edwin, what do you think? Uh, like you said, it's totally metal. It, I, I think if I... There's one song on this album which we may or may not get to that's even more metal, but this is definitely the second most metal song on the first album, in my opinion. And it starts, the lyrics are a little different uh, for Dave, a little more, like you said, kind of post-apocalyptic. Foreshadows a little bit of the vibe of Fair Warning. It makes me think of kind of like movies from the late 70s or early 80s, like the movies like The Warriors or like Class of 84. It's got this dark post-apocalyptic kind of 
bad teens, gangs roaming the streets. Yep. Just has that edge in the lyrics, the guitar, the mood. Uh, you know, it's it, it, and it says punk. The word punk is in the title. It's definitely a little more metal than punk, but it does have the attitude of punk. And it's like street music. This is like street gang music. And the fact, you know, all the band, I don't know about Michael Anthony. I know the Van Halen brothers and David Lee Roth came from like middle class backgrounds, you know, so they weren't like poor street guys. But a lot of the people that listened to their music from what I heard in the early days were like they had a rough crowd in the early days that got really rowdy and shit. And, you know, the Sunset Strip and all that stuff. And a song like this captures this. And they knew how to capture that vibe, you know. They knew what the streets were like, even if they didn't grow up on them. They they were insightful. You could see it and feel it and, you know, project it in the music. And it just has that sleazy, mean, dark street vibe. And I fucking love it. It's great. It made my top 25. It's great. I mean, you know, it wasn't as high as you, Ryan. But still, I mean, I love it. I mean, everything in my top 30 is like one of my favorite songs ever. So it's, yeah, it's an amazing song. Kicks one it. other note I wanted to throw in here on this song, and I think I heard Ian say something similar to this on one of the old Van Halen reviews. Atomic Punk and On Fire, I did not get at all when I was seven, eight years old when I discovered Van Halen. Like, I love Jamie's Crying. I love Running with the Devil. I loved Eruption. I loved all the the big mainstream songs on Van Halen 1, but when I was listening to that, when I was 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, I would skip Atomic Punk and On Fire. I didn't get them. They didn't make sense to me because, I mean, my musical brain at that point was very limited. Um, I got turned on to those songs much later, and now, you know, 40 years later, they're my favorite songs in the album. Yeah, you got to acquire taste for the metal, you know, as you get older. Oh, yeah. A lot of metal came in between those years. I, I, I definitely agree on that, you know, and, and Atomic Punk, as much as I love it, did not make my top 40, believe it or not, and that was a hard cut. Because, I, I mean, in all honesty, I wanted to put everything on Van Halen 1 in the list. <laughs> you had had to, That's I, because I, it's the best album of all time. Yeah, I mean, I had to spread it out, but Atomic Punk was definitely one I was a late bloomer to. Um... But it was it was it was, it was so metal and and the rest of that album is, uh, you know, David Lee Roth explained it the best. I mean, it's big rock, you know. It's it's not necessarily metal, but uh, you know, it, it's a hell of a lot harder than Kiss. Uh, it's just it's Van Halen, man. It's big rock, but you know, David Lee Roth to me was always. Uh, an enigma because he could change personalities and, and change his performance. To me, he's like a mix between fucking Lee Van Cleef and Milton Berle. You know, he can be the baddest motherfucker in the world and, 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 and he can be the guy that makes you laugh and do all this shit. And uh, Atomic Punk, man, he's in full fucking Lee Van Cleef mode. You know, where he is going to fucking kick your ass and coming out of nowhere. But yeah, I totally agree with that because as a younger kid, it's like I didn't know how to digest that along with the other songs that were much more accessible, uh, radio friendly, easier to digest. I mean, that was that was fucking metal, you know, that kind of, you know, when you read back in the history of the band where they loved Deep Purple, they loved Black Sabbath. They were almost called Rat Salad. You know, it's like this is where you see an atomic punk. But David Lee Roth could 
pull that off as much as he can pull off, you know, the shtick and the entertainer. He could be the bad motherfucker too, and that's what he was on this. And it, it, it's a shame this wasn't on in my top forty. But again, I mean, any song within the classic era era is interchangeable, uh, and I have no problems with this being where it's at. And I would have no problems with it being higher either. It's fucking atomic punk. God damn, it kicks ass. Forgive me for my drunkness. Has everybody talked about this one yet, Johnny? You? Nope, I'm just about to jump in. Uh, I had this one, Tonic Bunk, 21 on my list. I love this song. Dave doesn't write a lot of songs from this type of perspective. To me, this is like kind of like a Judas Priest, the Sentinel-type character song that I think is so fucking brilliant. And Eddie's brilliant on this song. The song's a fucking masterpiece, and it is where they start to get into that metal comparison because this song is so heavy and so just bombastic just bombards you i mean it's amazing great song but dave i mean he just where's he coming from with this i don't even know you know um in 1978 where you get these atomic punk i I think again i think it's from how much tv and movies he watched he's playing a character he's writing it for the perspective of a movie character and you don't see that a whole hell of a lot from him. I, there's a couple songs coming up that where I think you can you can see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this this is just this is just pure genius. Absolutely, but I, I love it. I think it's a great song. Um, perfect V8 song. All right, moving on to number nineteen. We're gonna let Ian kick this one off, and right. this one this one. Uh, is a song they, I think they only played it live on one tour and a big favorite, I think, with Van Halen fans. But for some reason, and, and I think I read somewhere that Eddie did not love this song. But Ian, what do you think about Take Your Whiskey Home? Oh, oh, god damn. Uh, I can't believe this is at 19, but. You know, I guess it is what it is, and I respect all your guys' opinions. Uh, again, this is quintessential Van Halen. And uh, oh, I, I just love the way it starts out, you know, with, you know, acoustically with the blues and, and, and that pickup, and it's so fucking Dave. It's so fucking Dave. And then when it kicks in, it's so fucking hard. And, uh,. I, I mean, to me, I, I'm very partial to this because it reminds me of me at that age where it's like, you know, you know, the chick's like, hey, you got to stop partying. I'm like, fuck you. I'm Wadzilla. You know, in 30 years, I want to have a podcast. Fuck you. You know, uh, don't tell me what to do. Uh, oh, it's it's it, it's so kick ass. Everything about this is Van Halen. And to me, it's very much a standout track on, on Women, Children First, which, you know, is a standout album to begin with. But, uh, oh my God, that liquor in the nighttime brings strange memories. <laughs> Seems a lifetime wounds since yesterday. Oh my God, I mean, oh man, I mean, this that's just Van Halen. And, uh, Again, again, what a perfect collaboration between Eddie and Dave. Because who else was going to take 
you know, the song in that direction musically, and who else can make it sound as dirty and fucking primal is Dave. And, and you know, like I said in the last song, dude, it, it's Lee Van Cleef meets fucking Milton Berle. He can be funny when he needs to be, but he can, like, break it down on a, like, I'm a man's man, and he can be that same guy that walks out in those fruity fucking furry boots that came up to his fucking knees and pull it all off. You know, I, I, I had a friend who saw him on the on uh, the fair warning tour and got pissed because Dave came out in the assless chaps. And, he, you know, and he sh- showed his ass to the whole audience. And my buddy's girlfriend went nuts, and he was like, ah, fuck this shit, he's a fag. You know, but uh, his old lady wasn't thinking that. You know, Dave can do it all, and, and the mixture of those two, oh, fucking take your whiskey home. How in the fuck is this not higher? But I'm not picking. Uh, what do you think, Edwin? I, I keep Plus. on saying it. It, it. When you see the songs ahead of it, you'll understand why. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. When I saw the top 25, I was like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, there was a few songs. In fact, this is my second favorite drinking Van Halen song, you know? Uh, it's not my favorite. I mean, to a degree, there's a lot of... It's kind of a subgenre in David Lee Roth's lyrics, the drinking element. Like, not all the songs are full-fledged drinking songs, but yet drinking gets in there, you know? Like, Romeo's Delight, you know? Like, whiskey gets in there, but I wouldn't call that a drinking song. That's just more of a fucking shit up song. You know, fucking the whole party up. It's bigger than just drinking. Whereas this kind of focuses on the drinking element of going to a party and fucking shit up, you know? And... It kind of leans into that, kind of like ACDC's Have a Drink On Me. So this, this to me, is the sec- uh, bottoms up, you know, it's like a song like that. It's a, it's a drinking song. It's a fucking awesome drinking song. It's When I was a teenager, uh, Women and Children First was my second favorite Van Halen album. Uh, Van Halen 2 over the years kind of got up there and kind of knocked it down. It's my second favorite. But when I was young, I was a teenager, and I kind of went into the deep end of the ocean. I mean, I just, I started like drinking at 15, like Southern Comfort, you know? And I would be like that asshole kid that went to the party with like a bottle of SoCo and and would get kicked out of the party, <laughs> you know, about three hours later. I can't drink Southern Comfort because the times I threw up, I'm all, so many times I threw up drinking Southern Comfort as oh, a teenager. It's nasty shit. You drink it as an adult, you go like, oh, it's like Austin. Why was I drinking this shit? There's better stuff. But as a kid, you're not thinking, right. you're not drinking for the taste when you're a teenager. Right. You're just drinking to, you know, get fucked up. And SoCo, especially they had that, you know, the 120 proof stuff. They had 120 proof SoCo. And I would drink at the party and I'd get into some trouble, you know, and I got blacklisted from a few parties and stuff. And I don't know, something about this song reminds me of that. It just, it has that vibe of like, you know, you go, you get drunk, like not just in the lyrics, but the, the groove of the song. It has that groove of the swagger of being a drunk that fucks shit up, but you don't give a fuck. And you still go home a bigger man than most of those motherfuckers. That's what this song feels like to me. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right. Um, I, my, my first reaction to this song is just like cool as fuck cool as the other side of the pillow cool as doctor this is going to date me but cool as dr j's afro in the late 70s <laughs> uh, this like both the guitar and the singing just the what the coolness that it gives off it it, it breaks the the scale it breaks the meter 
Um, some goes to women, some goes to Jesus, that I'm absolutely certain Bolt's all right, but it takes me at least halfway to the label before I can make it through the night. I mean, again, who writes a fucking lyric like that other than David Lee Roth? Uh, fucking awesome. Uh, love the ending, too, um, where it comes to that, like, screeching halt, and it's like... Um, cool note on... They really did, like I said at the beginning of this, they didn't play the song a lot live, but um, just pretty recently, and I posted this on my Facebook page a couple days ago, a really weird combo. John 5... Um, Corey Taylor from Slipknot, Michael Anthony, oh, yeah. and Fred from yep, Cinderella did a cover of this, and it is fucking awesome. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a Slipknot fan at all. I don't even really know that much about Corey Taylor. And I've seen him on that metal show a couple times. He seems like a pretty cool guy that like digs old music, but um, he does an incredible rock. Anybody that's a big Van Halen fan, do yourself a favor, look it up on YouTube. Michael Anthony on bass with those three guys, and John Five rules, by the way. I fucking love John Five. Um, and, and just so you know, I mean, now that EVH, unfortunately, you know, that's we're probably going to get that Roth album. I hope, yes. I hope, I hope so. I, I bet, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath, though. Roth is so oh, that, No, that, that shit will come up. I got a feeling Dave's going to strike, strike while the iron's hot. He's still a businessman and a Jew. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he's going to be like, you know, peak interest. I, I think it was an album he was holding on to because it would have upset Eddie uh, if it came out. I, I think you're going to see that shit within the next couple of months. Yeah, I agree. He's jumping on that shit. Just CBS Sunday morning. I mean, iron is hot. Iron's hot. Yeah. You, you yeah. listen to that cover, you can hear how many times John Fives listened to that song. You can hear how many times Corey Taylor's listened to that song. I mean, it, those guys are like us when it comes to Van Halen, and it's pretty much the entire hard rock world that came after them. I mean, they worship that band, and, and you can hear it when, when, a band, when a bunch of guys like that plays a cover of it, the feeling that comes through with it. And, and it's nothing you would ever fucking see a band get up on a stage and play a fucking Sammy Hagar Van Halen song. Um, it, it's just it, it, it nice little tribute to them. Very cool. Why uh, had Mark Alvin Taylor stand up on stage and play a Sammy Hagar song? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, what do you got? Uh, I love Take Your Whiskey Home. It's a great song. Um, I think it's true. It's it's one of those songs. It's true spirit of Van Halen and true spirit of Dave. I'm just going to read a quote. We lived our lives like roughnecks, circus carnies. I wonder if it's a dream to live the way we lived. I wonder if I even see that in people's eyes. I mean, they fucking lived it. Dave lived it. I mean, it, this band was 100% real. And songs like Take Your Whiskey Home are 100% real, authentic, pure Van Halen songs. And it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, I absolutely and, love this song. And, and if you remember, this is another one that was written well before Van Halen won. This was an old, old yeah. song. Um, and there's a lot of those on, you know, Two and Women and Children First, even all the way through 1984. And then, obviously, we saw it in more with Different Kind of Truth. Um, and anybody that has a problem with that is a fucking moron. 
Um, I don't care what the origin of the song was. The song doesn't count to me until you've done a proper studio production of it. And agree. That root could have come from 20 years ago. It could have come from five days ago. It doesn't matter. It's a fucking good song. It's a good song. End of conversation. Um, and they did it over and over again with, with old tracks. Uh, so let's move on uh, to number 18. Johnny's going to kick this one off because he had it way up the list. And this is another one of the... I personally don't think that the original Van Halen would ever did a song that I would call a ballad. Um, I, And it's one of the things that I thought made Van Halen so fucking cool. But this is one that could be put into that category by some people. Johnny, what do you think about off of the debut album little dreamer walks the line of a ballad for sure you know i'm not gonna say if it is if it isn't i'm gonna say it's awesome um it is the fair warning is talked about as the dark the dark van halen album i think this is the darkest van halen song in my opinion um i absolutely love this song i think it on Van Halen 1, which was such a groundbreaking landmark Eddie Van Halen album, of course Dave was great, but this is one of the tracks on Van Halen 1 that Eddie definitely takes a backseat to Dave. I mean, pretty straightforward rhythm playing, great riff, but nothing fancy on the solo, and this is Dave's best vocal performance on Van Halen 1. I mean, he, he sings amazing on this song. And I don't know totally what the songs are about. I think uh, Guttural Prostitute, and then at some point in time, I think, is this like a Dirk Diggler, you know, when I'm thinking about the lyrics? Is it about that type of thing? I don't know, but it's a great song. I absolutely love it. And I think it really... (sighs) Going into the end of that album just sets up a really, really dark dark song dark tone that that kind of balances out the album with all the party songs that kind of came before there's a couple other dark ones like ain't talking about love and and, uh, atomic punk but i just really think that this this is a great song that really you know helped make that album not so much of the fun party album but some of the seriousness and the gutter of, of of roth you know what i mean the realness Love it. Edwin. Oh, I like that you brought up the darkness of it, Johnny, because that's uh, something else I feel when I listen to this song. It's a, it's sort of a ballad, but it's dark. Not a band that you would immediately think of when listening to this song, mainly because I think of the instrumentation, because there's not like an organ playing during it. It's all guitar-driven, but it kind of reminds me of a Doors song, uh, especially with the way Dave croons it. Like, the way that, like, End of the Night or Crystal Ship, it has that dark kind of we out you know we hours kind of vibe to it and there's like moments you know like you know i live in la and i can tell you if, if you're walking down like the streets of sun like the sunset strip late at night this kind of captures that vibe in a way like even though then like it was when things were happening but now when you walk down the sunset strip it's kind of like dead it feels like a museum like this is a place where things used to happen and this song kind of always echoes kind of in my brain when I do it. It's just like this this kind of this sad lament at after a big rock and roll party, this is like the song that you kind of stand out on the street smoking a cigarette to, you know, 
and it's deep and it's dark and it has that vibe. It has that vibe of the, the you know, the wee hours after the party, and and the fact that they did this off their first album, like in as young men, that they already had this kind of sense of mortality. It's a, it's really impressive stuff. And again, another thing that elevates and shows you what Van Halen and how they were different from a lot of their uh, the bands that imitated them in the 80s that wouldn't be capable of a song with this kind of uh, pathos and darkness. It's a beautiful song. One of my favorite Van Halen songs. Definitely, I forget the exact number. Definitely made my top 20. I love this song. It's it's a beautiful song. Darkly Me too, but I just also just want to chime. It's also one of the simpler songs off that debut album. It's There's all mood. mood. It's just Dave kind of singing over, you know, Eddie's guitar. It's very simple, very restrained. Yeah, but he, he, I would say he kind of croons it. That's why it makes me think of Morrison a little bit, you know, or like uh, Frank Sinatra when he got darker, like uh, right. know, only the lonely kind of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 all it's atmosphere and shows that restraint. It showed also when Eddie could restrain himself for the sense of the song. Right, I totally agree. Ian, oh my god, oh my god. Uh, Man, what a beautiful fucking song. What a... Uh, I mean, it, that's just... Uh, I don't think they would ever do another one like that with Dave. Uh, just perfect in the way Dave sang it and the way his voice was at that time. Uh... And yeah, I get what you guys are saying. It's, it's like a ballad, but it's not. It, it, it's uh, powerful. It reminds me of like, like the ballads that I really love. Like, you know, even though I'm burned out on Dream On, but like almost like a, a Seasons of Wither. It, it sounds like a song that came out of necessity. It wasn't manufactured. It wasn't like, oh, we need that type of song on this album. It just, it was organic. And uh, you would never get anything like that out of the other incarnations of Van Halen. And just, just throwing this out to you, I've always thought that Rat Closer to My Heart was very similar to Little Dreamer. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, hey, I love Rat, dude. I, I love Rat definitely more than the next guy and probably definitely more than Bobby Blotzer. But, uh... Yeah, no, that, that that's a stretch there. Rat, rat could never. No, I, I just meant like in spirit, in spirit, not musicality, just like in spirit of the of the ballad vibe. Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, in, in spirit, my dick is as big as Johnny Holmes, but in reality, it's not. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, fair uh, enough. You know, uh, I'm here for I mean, the dick jokes. Yeah, yeah, I'm just here for the dick jokes. Uh, no, Little Dreamer. That's that's a once in a lifetime song. I think any band would be, you know, to have that in their catalog is, is a is a feather in the hat. You know, it's uh, you know, and Van Halen had so many of those songs, but but Little Dreamer is something different, and uh, I, that's part of why you know one is so special. It is the di- the diversity. I mean, you have something like Eruption. And you have an incredible cover. You really got me. You got iconic, like Running with the Devil. Uh, you have proto metal, like Atomic Punk. 
uh, you have Ice Cream Man. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, just listen to these songs. And I haven't even gone through the whole set list of that album. But it's, it just runs the gamut of great fucking music. Yep. Uh, yeah. L- L- Little Dreamer. I mean, I mean, you know, shit, you know, crap like fucking When Is This Love and Dreamer and Dreams or whatever the fuck that crap is and right now. They wish so hard they were Little Dreamer, but it's not. It's not because Little Dreamer is real. It's not manufactured. It's not like, hey, we're going to get on the radio. It's, they wrote that shit, you know? That's a life story of somebody. We don't know who, but somebody's life story. Yeah, yeah. And and knowing David Lee Roth, it was probably about one of the midgets that was his bodyguard, you know? But he (laughs) had dreams. You know, but he was a little dreamer, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I know midgets not the right normal feature. You're supposed to call them dwarves or little people, but they're midgets. You know, let's not beat around the bush. They're fucking midgets, and uh, you know, but they're people too, and they deserve a song like Little Dream. <laughs> and they deserve that's, a job on Van Halen's tour staff. Yeah, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I, I just put down doing notes for this. Is I call this kind of easy listening Van Halen, um, DLR crooner mode Van Halen. Um, it has a vibe of like kind of like '70s AM music, um, and like there's no other hard rock band I can think of that could pull off a song like this. It just again that magical combination of Eddie and and, and Dave and, and like Johnny said, you know, Eddie kind of sits back on this song and just does the you know, there's nothing all that complicated, he's just you know, laying a nice bed for Roth to do his crooner thing, and I mean, Roth right, just well. Roth knocks it out of the fucking park, I mean, the tone he has on this song, his voice is great in that level, I you know, they did this on the 08 tour, and he sang the fuck out of it, he sounded awesome um, another great, I mean, my favorite version of the song from the 78 Live in London uh, when they were opening up for uh, Sabbath. Go listen to that version. He kills it, kills it. I mean, anybody that says that Roth can't sing, go listen to that, he, you know, and tell me he can't sing. There's more soul in that than Sammy Hagar's found in his entire life. Um, yeah, this is a road dog. This song was a road dog. They they played this on the road early days. They always played it in the early early days. Um, and in the background vocals, the I mean, like, what other hard rock band is doing that shit? And it's brilliant. It's it's awesome. Um, uh, random cool note, and then we'll move on to the next one. Um, also, I, again, give credit to Eddie. This just shows Eddie's versatility and what you guys talked about with Eddie played for the song. He didn't play for the Flash. Whatever the song needed, that's what he was playing. And you right. think of how many different styles of music he played on this album. It's ridiculous uh, for, a, for a debut album. Um, but a really weird note that I literally just found out tonight and I was going through some notes on Van Halen News Desk. This was a B-side to Hot for Teacher, which is unbelievably random but perfectly Van Halen dude I, I was looking at stuff from Van Halen News Desk tonight too yeah. that's so funny they have some cool stuff on the, if you go into the album section they have like kind of notes or lyrics on each of the songs it's, it's pretty cool that's I get that if you stay out of the chat it's all good 
They, they maybe because by '84 was it? Maybe by that point, I, I don't know if they started to be like the bouts. Or I mean, I know Doc and had alone again. Uh, so maybe they thought like this because Van Halen didn't have many bouts. Maybe they just thought like, hey, this is kind of like a bout, so that's why I threw it on as a B side. You know, maybe they thought it could catch on or something. But uh, great, great song. Um, it, it's, go ahead, Ed. I was gonna say it's it's weird what you find out sometimes, and I know this will break Johnny's heart, but uh, you know, Rattlesnake Shake was the B side to Macarena. <laughs> <laughs> I and, uh, Rattlesnake Shake, and I can't stand that song. Oh, quick, Johnny! What you were saying about rap? The one thing I will—I don't necessarily—I I hear what you're saying with um, what were you saying? Love you tonight. I think that Closer to My Heart is like a oh, song. Heart. Okay, it's not quite a ballad, but it maybe could be a ballad. It's in the spirit of a ballad. You know what I mean? But you can't yeah. quite see that it is. Yeah, but the other thing I was going to say where there is a similarity between Rat and Van Halen is they're the only two bands I can think of that literally never had ballads. And I always respected Rat for that because they could they could have been tempted. You know, once they got to Detonator, I don't even count it because that they were right. Dead gone but they made four albums before they even really made an attempt at like a cheesy metal ballad and i always respect them for that and what i was saying closer to my heart is like the little dreamer song it's like it's kind of but it's not really it's it's not your cheesy you know you're gonna make a video for it and you know the the second single yeah but i i would say van halen and rat are two bands uh that their singer doesn't really lend themselves to ballads. Yes. I mean, Dave, Dave can croon, but, you know, he's not going to do, how do I know, you know, this is love or, you know, yeah, you know all that. Good. Damn good is a fucking damn good ballad, and I'll, I'll put that up against any ballad of the 80s, anyone. Which but song? it's not a hair metal ballad. Damn good. It's not a hair metal ballad. Oh, yeah. Damn, is that a good song? It's awesome. Oh, man. And lyrically, oh, my God. I mean, anybody who can't see that, that's him talking about Van Halen is fucking fooling himself. What a song. What a song. But it might not be talking about Van Halen because Dave has so many relationships. Top Jimmy, all these other people. I mean, Dave has so much going on in his life other, other than Van Halen. That could be about anything in his life. I think probably you're right. It probably is about Van Halen. But this guy has so much going on other than Van Halen. That could be about anything. It's probably a little bit of everything. You're right. Right. All right. Let's let's move on to number 17. And Edwin's going to kick this one off uh, from 82's Diver Down, Little Guitars. Little Guitars. Uh, one, one of my favorites. This actually was in my top five, actually. Number wow. five. Yeah, I really fucking wow. love the song. It's an underdog song. I know it. Something about this song. Uh, I'm. I think uh, we count the intro as part of this song, right? I mean, it's yeah. called Little Guitars Intro. So, uh, you know, it starts off with the flamenco thing, showing Eddie's versatility. My favorite part of the song, though, is like when it kicks in with Alex kicks in with the drum beat, and Eddie does that riff, and it's like the brown sound, and it's just like that riff is so awesome and then it goes into a wholly totally different song and i still love that song but there's that moment if you know what i'm talking about when it just like gets into that down and dirty kind of fair warning style sounding riff that i love and then it goes into this is the type of song that this 
there's really no category for it. This is just the Van Halen song. That's another thing about the song. It's so uniquely Van Halen. No other band can make a song like this, because all I would say is it's kind of a, a pop rock serenade. It's like a serenade that there's a romanticism to it, but it's definitely not a ballad. It's a rock song. And, you know, Eddie's doing the finger tapping. And there's just something very righteous and plucky and romantic about it but it's not like anything any other rock band would do it's just very unique and and idiosyncratic and there's just something about this song that i just it just really moves me every time i hear it and i'm like this is just something that no other band could make a song that sounds like little guitars and it's it's a beautiful song it's beautiful it's rocking and only van halen could do a song like this and that's why it's one of my favorite van halen songs Nice. Love it, Edwin. Johnny. I don't understand why this wasn't a single. With the, with, I, I get it with the, the Pretty Woman intro and then in, the Intruder and the Pretty Woman all work great, but this should have been a second single for sure. I mean, it, it's fantastic. I mean, the little guitar, the intro, and then into the song, and it's a perfect pop song. And it's so out of left field for Ian Halen, but it, it made sense following Pretty Woman, like the kind of song that, that, that they were doing. And uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic song. Definitely made my top 40 list. Um, I love it. I, and I, and I was, it was awesome to watch it 2015 when Eddie and Wolf both came out with their little guitars and played the song on the mini guitars. And it was super cool. And I think it's a great song, and, and Dave came up with great lyrics. Senorita, I mean, it's just it's just brilliant. I love it. Absolutely. But I definitely it, it, it could have definitely been a single. I, agree. I think there's another song that we may or may not get to on Dive Down. I think could have been a single too. That was an original. But uh, yeah, definitely, I agree. This could have been a single. It's great. Agree, Ian. Uh, I I love it did not make my top 40 but uh, I do love it and once again who but Van Halen would sing about the flights of midgets and their little (laughs) guitars Um, you know I love Edwin you know talking about the brown sound and that's something I think gets thrown around uh, too much when talking about Van Halen because to me when you talk about the true brown sound, I only think of two albums. I think of Fair Warning and Diver Down. To me, that is the brown sound. That is the sweet pocket of Eddie's guitar playing. Uh, but when I hear little guitars, as much as I love everything about it, what really sticks out to me is the interplay between Eddie and Alex. I love the way Alex is pocket on this song. Absolutely. And, and the way he's playing and the way it kicks up and he's just behind the beat but he's servicing the song so much. Uh, you know, and in the way, you know, Eddie a lot of times serves the song. Uh, Alex was a master of that too. He could do that John Bonham shit when he needs to. But he also know he knew how to do the shuffle and he knew how to serve the song and do different shit. And I hear, I just think about the guitar, and then I think about when fucking Alex kicks in. I love Alex so fucking much. Um, great, great fucking song. And this, this is, this is, 
fair warning diver down. That truly is, you know, for people who really know what the fuck they're talking about. That's the brown sound. That's that's the fucking. I, I mean, there's much as nobody could duplicate Eddie. That's when Eddie came into his own. And that brown sound, as much as I love 84, and I love 84 a lot more than most people do. Um, and, you know, I would damn near put 84 on this entire list, minus, uh, you know, the Mr. Roboto intro track. Um, but the brown sound, that's those two albums. Little guitars, kicks ass. All I got. Nice. Awesome. I, I, I just first thing that this is pop gold. I mean, and this is again the diversity of Van Halen that they can do a song like this. It's just so goddamn catchy, so melodic. Um, the song it, it could be an instrumental on its own and be brilliant, but Roth, you know, he does the perfect lyric. Like he he didn't overdo this. He he just he fit the song. And and this isn't his best lyrics of all time. Just kind of you know goofy, you know fun, senorita, you know, but. The melodies that he puts on this song, the the last minute of the song where they break into that, and, and this piggyback on what Ian said a little bit, the interplay between Alex and Eddie in the last minute of the song where they go into kind of the fast pace, and if you see them live, it's always the point in the show where Eddie does that like 15, 20 foot slide on his knees across the stage, and he's doing all the crazy leg shuffle across the stage and all that shit. I love that. But also, the interplay between him and Alex at that point. And, and you always hear about the Alex snare sound. It is such a very unique snare sound. But he is no better sample of that than the last minute of the song, where Eddie's just going nuts. And Alex isn't doing anything fancy at all, but he's just keeping that beat with that, with that Alex snare sound. It's brilliant. And then you throw on top of that just that last minute where Dave's doing the ooh, 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 ooh. I mean, like, oh, God, any time I hear that song live, that part of the song, I might literally have, like, goosebumps. I, it gives me the chills. It is so catchy. It is so goddamn energetic. It, it puts a, it, you don't have a smile on your face when you're listening to that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's music cotton candy. It, it's, it, it's, it's just beautiful in its simplicity, but God, that riff, and I mean, it's a, just a beautiful piece of music, but pop gold, man, absolute pop gold. Uh, love it moving on number 16 and Edwin's going to kick this one off as well off of Van Halen 2 somebody get me a doctor somebody get me a doctor I'm I'm just going to say this is one of the few songs I was surprised did not make the top 10 it's just me Uh, this is my fourth favorite Van Halen song Uh, it's just it's badass this is you know, I'm a, as you all know, I'm a big Motorhead fan, also a big ACDC fan. This to me is like a very kind of ACDC-ish song, especially at the beginning when it hits the bomb, bomb, bomb. You know, that's like hell in a bad place to be, kind of like that when the chords hit like that. I always love those just power chords. It's just like they're like punches to the face. It's like Van Halen's punching you in the face for you know a couple measures there, and then. After getting punched in the face, he then goes into one of Eddie's greatest riffs, and it's just so down and dirty, and it's it's simple, but it's just down and dirty fucking cock rock of the highest order. And Dave, you know, Dave never sounds sounded like more of he just he's such a badass on it, and the band's so tight, and just the way the chords hit in the verses, it's like it's almost like the song 
is daring itself to be more kick-ass every second. Like, you know, let's let's get even tougher sounding. Let's get even more, let's get more swagger, you know, swagger in this shit. And it's just, and it's short, and it just gets in there, and it just fucking kicks your ass and gets out, and it's fucking rock and roll. And it's it's a song, it, it's, this is one of the few songs that has no play out, you know, it's never played out for me. Even though it, you know, has been played a lot on classic rock radio, and I've heard this song so many times, Every time this song comes on, it's fucking rock and roll party time. I love this song. It's one of my favorite Van Halen songs, and it's one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever written, in my opinion. So there you go. Love it. And that's why I gave it to you first. <laughs> uh, Ian, what do you think about Somebody Get Me a Doctor? Oh, I mean, goddamn. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's fucking Van Halen, too. I mean, yeah. that, you know, that that's an album... In its entirety, I think it's neck and neck with the first album. You know, the first album is the first album. It's the introduction, you know, to the world of Eddie Van Halen. But Van Halen 2, god damn. And, you know, somebody give me a doctor. That 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 goes up against all of the best songs on Van Halen 1. I mean, you, you could literally put that neck and neck. Uh... Oh, just everything, and it just sounds like a, a hungry band, you know, a band firing on all cylinders. And I love that that was one that they did on that horrible Van Halen three tour that Michael Anthony would take the lead vocals. But I love that because I'd rather hear Mike take a take on it than than fucking uh, you know get the funk out, motherfucker, Gary Brown. Oh my God. Just, and then the way it ends was somebody give me a shot. Bam. You know, Bam. How, how fucking rock and roll is that? And it is. It is ACDC. It is Motorhead. It's primal fucking rock and roll at a guttural level. Just hits you. I mean, that is one for the punters. That is one for the metalheads. You know, that is that. That's one for the guys. Ain't, ain't trying to win no chicks over. That's just. This is one for us. And god damn, what a great song. Love it. What what number is this? 16. 16. That shows you how great this fucking band is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's Amazing. Holy shit. Uh, that, that that's all I got. And I love that song. I, this I, I just that fucking riff, man. I mean the from the dun 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 and then the riff, but even the riff is great the first time, but it's even better coming out of the solo where the whole song just stops and it starts with that again. And, and that riff is just one of Eddie's best. The whole vibe of this song. I mean, anybody that has had a, you know, just drunken, you know, Falling all over the place night knows exactly what Roth is talking about on this song. We've all been there, and it can be pretty fucking fun at times, man. Um, I'm pretty close to that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny's been drinking since this afternoon. (laughs) On that note, uh, Johnny V, what do you think about this song? It's it's amazing. I love this song. Somebody get me doctor. Great song. Definitely, it made my top 40, I remember where I had it, but I, I will say this about the song, I mean... Uh, you had it at 19. It's awesome. Um, it is, but if we're talking live performances, 
the Largo 82 performance, that the 82 Hide Your Sheep tour, when they did the medley of Somebody Get Me a Doctor, Girl Gone Bad, and I'm So Glad. Yeah, yeah. It was so fucking amazing. So amazing. It's so and, cool that they, that they hadn't even released Girl Gone Bad, but I mean, it's literally half the song. Right, and, and then when they when they when they get out of the medley, and if you watch YouTube it, Largo eighty two, somebody get me a doctor. Yep. They get out of that medley and they kick in, they kick back into the main riff. Somebody get me a doctor, and Eddie and Dave go to the middle of the stage and they go back to back, and they're sin, they're 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 literally together back to back. And Eddie's jamming and Dave's singing and it's just magical. And it's one of my favorite, favorite live Van Halen songs ever. And those performances are just electric. Just yeah. electric. Yeah, and, and to piggyback on what you were saying about uh, when they were working in at least the, the beginnings of Girl Gone Bad, I'll, I'll give a spoiler where Girl Gone Bad is not coming ahead in the top 15. But I do, I, I do love that song, and, and I think that song is another great example. And I heard Ted, Tem- Ted Templeman talk about this, just the unspoken language that Eddie and Alex had with each other, the way they could play where they didn't even have to talk to each other and one knew where the other was going before they did it. You watched those, those jams there um, at the US Festival and also on that Largo, and you see that dynamic, you see Eddie and Alex just riffing off of each other and how easy it is. It's an, they don't even have to say a word to each other. And it's it's awesome. Um, so cool. Uh, and There's I, also I, a great interplay between Mike and Dave. Mike and Dave have a great little thing there where they're chugging whiskey and they're having a great time and singing the background vocals. It's magic. Awesome. Love it. All right, we're going to move on. And Johnny, you are up next to... Uh, start us off with another one from Van Halen 2. Uh, this one was a an, uh, the opening song to the first time Van Halen ever played an arena as, as a headliner on their second tour, Light Up the Sky. Amazing song. I mean, Dave, Dave's lyrics here are, are just kind of transcend, transcended. I mean, it just really really beautiful magic lyrics open your eyes leave it all behind i mean just just fantastic song and and i mean it just it puts all their talents together you know so perfectly and it's it's such a great song and uh alex has some great a great drum fill on there dave's lyrics are great eddie's just on fire here totally on fire um my second favorite song on Van Halen 2, um, just pure fire. I mean, just just has all the great things you'd want from Van Halen album. Just just awesome. It just rips. And it's heavy as fuck. Great song. Ian, light up the sky. Oh my God, light up the sky. Uh, man, and this is one of those. I'm trying to think of my list. Uh, I'm not even going to pretend to think about it. I don't know where this landed on or if it made it, but if it didn't, fucking shame on me. Uh, fucking incredible. I mean, again, like hard-ass Van Halen. Uh, just 
great hard rock. I mean, you, you couldn't go wrong with, with anything off of Van Halen 2. I mean, to me, again, Van Halen 2 is just fucking... Oh, you know, but light up the sky. There's something special about it, and it's one of those, you know, you know, these jump motherfuckers don't know, you know. And I love that. I love that. Like, if you know light up the sky, you know Van Halen. You know. Oh my god. Yeah, when they all came up with this on the 2015 tour, I kind of looked around me, and you could tell half the people there had no fucking clue what they were playing. Yeah, and fuck them motherfuckers, man. And fuck them right up the fucking opening track. That was the opening track on 2015. Yep. yep. I mean, I fucking loved it, and it was fucking ridiculous. But, I mean, it, you know when you're at those big shed shows, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people, half the people there, at least half the people there, they have no fucking clue what that is. Yeah, but, no, the, the, again, quintessential fucking Van Halen, and you, you could pick any song off of Van Halen, too, should be in the top three and you know I, I know i suck at math so that doesn't work but <laughs> i mean this is just god it, it, it's so van halen and and again th- this is a song that you could only get out of the original lineup you would never get this in any other incarnation you and, can't get and, this stuff no more <laughs> yeah and, and i mean that like you know you you couldn't even get this with with Wolfie. This this is just fucking this is pure Van Halen through and through. Fucking Scott. Good lord. I don't know. Man, I love this fucking album. And all I'm gonna say, uh, you know, because right now I'm just thinking about Van Halen too and I'm hearing like every song all at once. But if we don't talk about Out of Love again, you know, before this review is over, I'm gonna hire back Ralph so I can quit. Uh, <laughs> holy shit! Oh, little little, intri- little there, intrigue there. Will we talk there, about that song or not? At least one more song from from that <laughs> album. Oh, at least just oh. one more. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! I I, I, I love light, light of the sky. Awesome. Who's next? Yeah, I, I'll I'll come in next. Uh, this song from start to finish is just fucking brilliant. Um. I really honestly think this should have been the first song on Van Halen 2. And don't get me wrong, I love You're No Good. I think it's an incredibly cool cover, and I actually think it it is in the same tone as the song we just talked about, Little Dreamer, and it's why it works so well. Um, They made You're No Good a very, very dark song, even darker than it already was with Linda Ronstan. But um, Light Up Sky, I love that, that kind of climbing the stairs uh, intro and everybody shines in the song Eddie shines uh, Alex has that little drum solo break in the middle which is so fucking cool um, but this song live when they did it back in the day was absolutely killer um, and I'm going to throw in another recommendation for uh, live YouTube There, the opening show to this tour was in Fresno, California, and um, they, again, it was the first time they had ever uh, played an arena show live. Um, There's an awesome audio bootleg of the entire show that you can find on YouTube, but there's a video that got um, 
they it was a crappy handheld video that was from kind of a side angle of the stage, but they kind of updated it and made it as quality as they as they could. The audio to that handheld was terrible, but they took the great audio that they had and synced it up to what they had of the video. And if you get a chance, go and, and check that out. It's a little choppy. There's some like songs that are cut off like somebody gets me a doctor you hear the intro and then it just cuts off and then all of a sudden i think ain't talking about love is playing but the opening song is light up the sky and they have the entire song and even though it's a crappy handheld video the visuals of that the energy that these motherfuckers had you got to remember this is their first arena show they might have sold a lot of albums with van halen one but you can tell there is still a hunger and there is still like a we want to prove ourselves to the world and god the energy on that fucking first song and roth sings his ass off on it too he sounds awesome he sings every lyric and this is a chaotic song to sing i mean he he scats fast on this song um and some unbelievably cool lyrics i'll just throw out one of my favorite the, the uh um, start of the, uh, the second uh, verse. Um, oh shit! I lost my, my place on this. I, I won't. I won't bore you with it. But um, just his, his. And again, we talk about the cinematic thing. I think this song also has um, a little bit of a, a. If you listen to the lyrics, and it's kind of like you know the youth kind of growing up and taking over almost, and like. You know, come see your children, man. They're lighting up the sky and all that. And, you know, we're all fast breakers. Um, you know, there, there's a, a, an energy of just like, you know, the youth um, about this. And it, it has that kind of like same vibe to me as Atomic Punk um, with an anger and like, you know, the youth is going to take over kind of thing. Um, really fucking cool, cool vibe to this song. Edwin. Light up the sky, yeah, it's uh, fucking awesome. Uh, I, I would just, this is a good opportunity to talk about Van Halen 2, just kind of in general for a second, that's all right. Because, you know, Ian keeps talking about it, and this is the thing, Van Halen 2 over the years, I will always say Fair Warning is my favorite album, but Van Halen 2 is my go-to Van Halen album uh, for at least the past five years. Maybe because when I was younger, I didn't fully appreciate it. When I was a teen, like I said, it was maybe my fourth or fifth favorite, actually. But over the years, as I got older, it just kept going up and up on my list. And now it's like locked down. It's always going to be number two just riding Fair Warning's ass. And it's only because Fair Warning's a little played out for me that two is my go-to album. But two is my go-to album. That's just, I just always, if I feel like listening to Van Halen, that's the first album I go to. And I, I understand the instinct to make uh, Light Up the Sky the first track. I understand it. But let me just make a case for what they did. Because the thing about making uh, the Linda Ronstadt song is that it makes somebody get me a doctor kick in so much more kick-ass as the second track. That's the thing. It's like they set the mood. It's like confident. Like they just come in, they set a little mood. It's kind of dark, moody. And then they fucking kick your ass with the second track. And... It's a confident move. It's like we're going to just keep on rocking and we're going to keep throwing shit at you like out of love and, you know, light up the sky and DOA. And, you know, we don't have to lead off with the heaviest song first because we're going to show you motherfuckers how heavy we are by the time this album's done. So there's something that... I agree with you. I, 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 I was just going to comment that my favorite side 
of any Van Halen album. My favorite, if I'm picking a, a, a side to put on the turntable, it's side two, Van Halen two, Light Up the Sky, Spanish Fly, DOA, Women in Love, Beautiful Girls. I think the album tracking is amazing. The way yeah, they track it, amazing. It's it's confident. It's a confident tracking. It's like we're gonna set the mood, and then we're gonna fucking hand your ass to you. And by the time we're done, you're gonna know we're the greatest rock band out there right now. There's a part in the live version of that, the, the first show of, of the second tour, we're in at right after Light Up the Sky, like Ross says, the new album is out today. We're gonna play a bunch of new songs tonight. And God damn it, like gets you like that vibe, like how excited they were, like they had these new songs to show everybody. And actually Light Up the Sky is one of them that was completely new and it, it did not exist prior to Van Halen 1. I think Eddie said he wrote that kind of while they were on the road for Van Halen 1. Um, but it's just so cool to hear him say the new album is out today and that's Van Halen 2 that he's talking about. And um, piggybacking on what you were saying, Edwin, the Van Halen 2, I've always loved it. And my whole life, my Van Halen rankings have kind of gone up and down. The only thing that's kind of stayed steady is Fair Warning 1. But um, Van Halen 2 has, has definitely risen up the ranks a little bit. Um, it's just so good. It's I mean, there's really no... For, for a while, I did not love You're No Good, but as I've gotten older, I've appreciated that song more and more. Um, yeah, it, it's and, my it's my least favorite track, but there's something also about an album where the first song is your least favorite track. You know what I mean? Like, it just keeps getting better and better. Better, better. better. Yeah, and, and, and again, getting to the live stuff, they did a little three-song promo thing similar to what they did for Fair Warning for Van Halen 2, um, where it's professionally recorded, and there is an awesome live version of You're No Good on that um, for people to check out. Uh, I still like it. I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I would say that's my favorite cover. None of their covers made my top 40, but that's probably my favorite cover because it does have a little bit of that little dreamer kind of dark vibe that I like. Yeah, it's very yeah, toned, and it's interesting because Little Dreamers at the end of Van Halen One, and this is, and that's yeah. at the beginning of Van Halen Two. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just to wrap it up, light up the sky. I mean, yeah, that's almost like Motorhead, but. But bringing in that melody, and one thing Johnny was saying too, is there's something transcendental about it. Like, this is a thing, people wouldn't talk about spirituality with Van Halen, and it's not like in a hokey, maudlin way. But, you know, when you listen to, you know, Dave's lyrics, there's something more going on than just like partying and sex, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know? If you want to be a punk, you got to eat a lot of rice. There's something. You're transcending with the song, like you're reaching something a fucking heart. It's like, it's like, and you brought up uh, the soul stuff too, Ryan. It's like Sly and the Family Stone, like Take Me Higher. Like this song is like that. It's heavy, but it's also kind of taking you to a higher fucking place. You know, it's like soul. It's like heavy metal soul that's that's you know hitting you, but yet it moves you at the same time. It's it's almost religious. I fucking love this song. It, that's why it made my top ten. Here's the here's the lyric I wanted to read. We're all fast breakers coming out of the gates, taking chances where they crash and burn. Uh, little way of beauty, but never, uh, but never gave love across the line with no return. Um, again, Roth, and it's it's that what you were talking about with going beyond just partying. This is kind of more about like a, a spirit of of just youth and. and 
and and the power of youth kind of kind of feel for for this song and i i think it, it goes a little deeper than just you know drinking a beer and passing out there there's some real coolness to the way he's talking about like the power of youth in the song um and you know come see your children man they're lighting up the sky who won't recognize them anymore um that's that's like a teenager kind of coming into their own and, and like a parent looking at them like you know i don't know if i recognize this is the kid that i knew when he was 10 11 years old you know and and again that's a little deeper than yeah. just you know romeo delight and love romeo delight but that's just sheer just party whereas this is a little deeper well we may or may not talk about that song later on fucking <laughs> matter <laughs> so we're going to go to number 14 and number 14 will be led off by johnny and this is a song we already uh touched on but it's from the first album and it is a heavy as fuck metal song called on fire good god y'all <laughs> to the disclaimer that I'm drinking double IPAs and I have a big fucking dip of Copenhagen in my mouth right now, so I apologize for that. But on fire, I had it at number four for me on uh, my my list. I mean, it, at one point it was one. When I started making my list, it's one. It maybe two days from now, it may be one again. <laughs> but it is a total banger. I'm hanging 10 now, baby, while I ride your sonic wave. I mean, Dave's lyrics are off the charts. It's one of those songs that Alex and Eddie, and I don't mean to disrespect Mike, but Alex and Eddie and Dave, all the genius comes together in a perfect storm. I mean, the riff is all over the charts. You got the tapping in there. I mean, right before the second verse where uh, Dave says, uh, lay your bodies down, Alex comes in with a drum fill that is so fucking killer. It's a John Bonham-esque drum fill that's so heavy and so killer. Um, On Fire is a quintessential Van Halen song to me. Um... Probably my favorite song. No, I'd say my, my, my number two off the off uh, the first album. It's just a monster, just a total monster. And Dave hit the ball out of the park with the lyrics, and you know the 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 re lyric after some of the things he says. I'm in your heads. I'm in your heads. I mean, he he just. I mean, and they had to have been Templeman. They had to have been Templeman that that put some of that into play. But it's just an absolute monster of a song. I love it. Fucking awesome, Ian. On fire! Oh, incredible. And believe it or not, I don't think On Fire made my top forty. It did. Uh, but that—that's how fucking insane and how hard uh, it was. Uh, I love this fucking song, though. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is uh, this was written about the, the starting lineup of the 1978 Lakers after they slept with Andrew Jacobs' wife. Uh, <laughs> you know, How did I get Andrew Jacobs? <laughs> yeah. And, and somehow now we hear Melissa Etheridge. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, my God. 
do I love this song. But yeah, this, this is one, um, you know, I, I talked about before, this and Atomic Punk. When I first got into it, I don't know, I used probably just too heavy for my little pussy ass on my big wheel you know <laughs> it's just like oh man what 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 is this it wasn't accessible but now it's like a, it's so fucking van halen and this is something that you only got from real van halen when you get david lee roth and and eddie you know it reminds me of a song unfortunately i don't think we're gonna get to talk about but I wish we did was Honey Baby Sweetie Doll, which is my favorite song off Different Kind of Truth. And that song in itself, I think, really wipes out every other era of Van Halen that didn't feature David Lee Roth, because it's just so heavy and so primordial fucking Van Halen. Uh, you know, but this is like, you know, from the beginning, they're coming out the gate with this shit. And uh, it's... You, you see the metal influences but you, I mean it still sounds like Van Halen but it's just like on another level and you're only gonna get this with Dave and Eddie uh, love it love it this is one even though it wasn't in my top 40 I'm surprised it's not higher it's fucking on fire you know and, and it, I mean this is the shit that gave Magic Johnson AIDS from fucking <laughs> Antic, you know this is oh my god what a song all right i'll take it next uh on fire was this was an opener for them on most of their shows early on um and uh i keep on going because i'm again i'm a yeah but then it opens uh opened the fair warning tour too yes yeah um and I'll go back to the London 78 show and every t- this was their opener there and this is you know them opening up for kind of a fading Black Sabbath Black Sabbath's kind of falling apart and Ozzy's acknowledged that Van Allen blew them off the stage every night and every time I hear the live version of this from 1978 in London I just try to picture a theater full of probably you know 1500 2000 maybe sabbath fans who hadn't heard this band yet and these guys come out playing this fucking song and people's jaws had to just be on the fucking ground like what the fuck am i listening to like what is this where did that guitarist come from who is this fucking front man who's doing fucking you know 15 foot spread eagle off the riser all this and, and the energy again you can hear in that live and again roth sings his ass off on that version anybody that says roth can't sing go listen to bootlegs from the first three four tours sings his ass off um fucking metal to to the hilt absolute hilt on this song um just attitude swagger Fuck you, like you know that that angry Roth. It, 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 um, just fucking brilliant. Um, as Johnny already said, good God, y'all, I'm on fire. Uh, Edwin, you finish this song off, and then you will kick off the next song. Okay, on fire. Fucking awesome. The songs. It, it, remember when I said that I thought uh, Atomic Punk was the second most metal song on Van Halen One? guess you guys all knew what I meant was the first one. It's this song. doesn't get more metal. It's just like Judas Priest type shit. 
And it, also in a studio version, I'd say David Lee Roth. People say he can't sing. Listen, it's fucking. He's hitting all those high notes in the chorus. It's fucking awesome. Doesn't get more metal than that. And, you know, I remember I would watch clips of them doing this live. And it was like fucking Caligula in musical form. You know, they're just fucking taking you on and plundering you. And it's it's just so fucking badass. And I also love uh, one thing. You know, the greatest part of this song, in my opinion, is the chorus. And because two totally awesome things happen. A, you know, Dave's hitting those high notes, you know, it's higher notes that he ever you know, hitting his whole career right there, doing this like Rob Halford type shit in that chorus. And Eddie's doing this really great, cool riff, you know, da 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 And it's just fucking, who else could do that? It's like fucking black magic. It's awesome. And and then they just snap right back into it. And uh, I fucking, this song's just, you, you, no other band could do a song this kick ass. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing song. I love it. Really? And it, and it's so different from the next song that I'm going to get into. Go ahead. You, you know what <laughs> I'm looking at the list right now. I'm looking at this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Women in Love. Number Woo! 13. Woo! Women in Love. Actually, my uh, let me look at my list. I, I printed out two lists because I was curious to see. Okay, yeah. Wait, Women in Love is my third favorite song, but this is the 13th on the list. Women in Love. I... You know, I know we said Little Dreamer was the only one that's kind of like a half ballot. I feel like there's two other songs on this list, and this is one of them that could be kind of a half ballot. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, this is kind of a half ballot, too. Uh, If you heard, obviously, a reworking of the earlier Zero Demo version, Woman in Love, which was more of a straight-up kind of hard rock song. And then they totally reworked the song to be this more majestic kind of half ballad. This, yeah, it's just it's some, a completely different song. Yeah, they totally just changed the song, and they and it showed the evolution too, because they wouldn't been capable as great as that demo is, and as great as the first album is. To me, and as much as I love Little Dreamer, I think this is an evolution. I think this shows that the band kept evolving and could do something even deeper. And to me, this song is just a magical song from the very beginning. With a, uh, I don't know. I used to play bass, but I wasn't a guitar player. Is that um, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, on the beginning, we was doing the uh, with the guitar. The just the tapping or the yeah, yeah, kind of tapping uh, the not harmonics, 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 harmonics. That's it. Yeah, he's like tapping these harmonics in the beginning. It's already like beautiful. So like before it even goes into the song, just the yeah, intro. it's another one of those classic, just yeah. little thirty-second intros that Eddie does. Where it, and honestly, it's almost a separate piece of music because it doesn't have that much to do with a regular song, but it's beautiful. But it does set it up. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's not, it's kind it's kind of like a painting. I almost I feel like I'm listening to those hip, you know, what he's doing in the beginning of the guitar. It feels like a Renaissance painting, you know. <laughs> and then it goes into the song. And then the song, it's like deep and dark. It's again, like Little Dreamer. It's dark, but beautiful at the same time. And it just has that vibe. It has that vibe of like, you know, two o'clock in the morning, thinking about, you know, some girl that got, you know, got to you, you know, you know, all these cr- crazy women, you know, you know, just, you know, one crazy night. And the harmonies too, during the chorus, you know, Michael and Eddie's yeah. harmonies, 
They're just fucking beautiful and wistful. And again, this is a song that all their imitators can never come to, you know, create something like this. It's a wistful, dark, beautiful, magical song. It's one of their greatest songs, in my opinion. It It's one of those songs that as I've gotten older, I appreciated it more and more. It's one of my favorite Van Halen songs. It's like, it's always like a moment, like as I'm going through all the kick-ass rocking songs from Van Halen 2, it's like always like, I'm going to do all these kick-ass songs and get into these kick-ass, song, kick-ass songs, but then I'm going to get to, you know, Women in Love, you know, like that's like kind of a, like the nice euphoria after all the ass-kicking. Like I know I'm going to get to this more meditative, darker, richer place when I get to this song. And it's one of the things that brings me back to Van Halen too, again and again. I fucking love this song. Love it. Very well done, Edwin. Uh, Ian, you had this very high up on the list as well. Your thoughts, Men in Love. Oh, amazing. When I got to see Van Halen do this live, I mean, seriously, man, this this shit make a fucking bitch cry, man. I was like, oh my God. To hear this shit live, you know, and I, you know, I hate to be the dead horse, but, you know, you know, now I know how Andrew Jacobs' wife's felt, you know, when she found out, you know, a, a one-inch clit was more satisfying than a two-inch prick. Uh, you know, women in love. Holy shit. Uh, man, this is a dream. Go on and dream. And I just hear Dave fucking croon that shit. Let your love be all you know and bam, you know, and it kicks in. Uh, he, he's just fucking the mic, man. He is fucking the mic on this song, and the rest of the band is in the pocket. And, uh, you know, Edwin brought up a great point about how this really separates them from, you know, all the imitators that would come after, you know, like. You know, Van Halen has women in love, and, and, and uh, you know, Motley Crue's like, hey, check out Rocket Ship. You know, it's like, get the fuck out of here. You know, there's no comparison. Sorry, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> you know, I agree. <laughs> it, it, it's Van Halen, man. They are in a class of their own. And I, I love the way Dave described the big rock. And in my iTunes, I'm I'm very against, like, classifying genres of music because I think, you know, artists and bands should stand on their own. So when I label albums, I don't label them as genres. I just label it as, like, the the name of the band. I'm like, this is them. This is what they do. But Van Halen, I don't even put Van Halen. Every Van Halen album is listed as Big Rock. I love that. You know, nobody else can fucking do Van Halen but those four motherfuckers. And, you know, as much as I love Different Kind of Truth, I think it's a great album. There is something missing that is, uh, but just as much as Mike Lanthony, I think, you know, Ted Temple missing and Don Landy's missing. But, uh, you know, this is a band that had a lot more to offer. And, and this song is just a prime fucking example because you can have shit like fucking I, I, what they did with fucking You're No Good incredible you know and, and fucking uh, light up the sky man you got shit like beautiful girls women in love fucking DOA 
again, all the, the same band, you know, one album, under 40 minutes, all killer, no filler. You know, what other band of that era could put out these kind of classics on one fucking album? You know, just stand the test of time. And how, I, I guess it shows how complacent music fans got that people could get to a point where they could listen to Van Hagar and accept that as Van Halen, you know, and go, oh, that'll do, you know, or, okay, I mean, you put any of that, I don't even care, like, you put up the best Hagar era song, and you put up against shit like this, you know, this, this is an era where bands would put out multiple albums a year, or not, you know, every year, you know, record, go on tour for a couple months, put out another fucking album, and would put out albums of this quality you know that still stands the test of time anything on Van Halen 2 any any of the six pack it sounds fresh it does not sound dated well maybe dance on the streets but you know, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean it's, it's just timeless rock and roll and just perfection of, of all members man women in love oh Ooh, yeah, that, 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 that should be higher, but I ain't bitching, man. We love all these songs, so there's no losers. Yeah, I, I had this way up the list, too, and this is back to, you know, that conversation we're having about ballads. I don't, I, I just call this crooner day in Van Halen. Um, and it's, it's always been a good place for Dave because he does it incredibly well, but it particularly was a great place for Dave as he got older. And he couldn't sing some of those screaming, you know, you know, screaming banshee songs from back in the day. The one song on the on from 07 all the way through 15 on the three reunion tours that always killed every time they played it, and I saw him play it six times, is Women of Love. Dave kills this live. Eddie and Wolfie kill this live. The background vocals, listen, you know. For all the shit that that uh, Tokyo Dome got, listen to Women in Love on Tokyo Dome. It's fucking awesome. It's fucking brilliant. And the backing vocals are perfect. Um, another, you know, the the intro that Eddie plays in this song is just beautiful. Well, real quick, I, you know, I, I hate to interject, but one thing I will say about Tokyo Dome... Uh, it, it does take a lot of shit, you know, and there, there's a lot of songs where Dave does sound rough. But if you listen to Tokyo Dome as a full album from start to finish, even where Dave misses, you feel the magic. And you feel like, that. you know, you, you through that statement. Yeah, you, you feel it and you feel like it's, yeah. it's okay. You don't hit it. And that's what makes me so mad with artists like Ozzy. Uh, who won't sing certain songs because he says he can't hit it. But you know what? I would rather hear him at least try, you know, and, and, and do it and fail. Like, like Dave's like, Dave's, I got no illusions. Yeah, my voice ain't what it used to be. I can't hit everything, but the feeling's there. And I think the feeling comes Dave across. Can still, Dave can still do a split during Beautiful Girls and turn, turn around and do a, a fucking karate kick and everybody's happy. Oh yeah, and that—that's the thing. Like when you see Dave, uh, it's it, it, it's 
an amalgamation of everything. It's the show. It's the presentation. It's the way he does it, man. And if he doesn't hit every note, I don't care because you're fucking entertained. And that, that's the same way, like, you know, Ozzy doesn't want to sing certain Black Sabbath songs because he can't hit. I'd rather see Ozzy try and fail to hit Symptom of the Universe than to hear him nail fucking Mom, I'm Coming Home. Which, you know, he's not going to nail anyway because it's all auto-tuned and somebody else is singing background vocals. But, you know, fuck all that. I'm just saying, Dave knows how to work a crowd. And Tokyo <laughs> Dome, it, 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 it is what it is. But when I listen to it as an album all the way from start to finish, it's a fucking party. It's a fucking party, you know. And and I guarantee you, everybody that left that show, that was some happy Japanese motherfucker. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's also the most true live album probably you're ever going to hear. I mean, there's there's no touching up. It is the just a soundboard recording. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's, exactly what the show was there's no bullshit no overdubs they asked dave from eddie's interview they asked dave they asked eddie asked dave what do you want to put out for live help and he said just put out tokyo yeah apparently they they recorded every show on that tour and that's what he picked yeah And, and what i love about that though is how it all evens out is the cover of that album is so horrible it distracts you from Dave's vocals. You know, it, that is like the worst album cover in, in music history. It's bad. Uh, but they yeah, never, oh, most of their album covers aren't great. Yeah, no, no, but I'll I, I tell you what. And Halen Collage has no covers, just cool pictures. Yeah, yeah. I'll I, I tell you what, David's a bum note on that album. I just look at the album cover. It's like, ah, eh, could be worse. Could be this album cover. <laughs> Just let me fit, I'll finish up on Women in Love. Uh, love the ending. It's a it's a very mellow song, but the very last, like, 20 seconds, uh, oh. where it goes, I know, I know. And then, bam! It gets heavy for a second, and it's so cool after a really mellow kind of crooner song to have that ending. And, 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 and uh, Dave just kind of does some riffing off of off of what Eddie's playing at the end of the song and it's a great finish too just a beautiful beautiful song um everybody's spoken on this yep alright we're going on to number 12 Ian everybody wants some everybody wants some uh man just it's all about Alex on this one uh just that 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 tribal beat uh you know and dave Dave has an awesome delivery and eddie plays some tasty riffs but anytime i hear this all i can think about is mad fucking alex van halen just oh oh my god uh man that is that is just fucking uh just primal fucking rock and roll. Everybody can get that. You know, you play that song, everybody feels it. You know, it's just like, you start moving. I don't care if you can fucking dance or you got any sense of rhythm. Just everybody moves like, yeah, yeah. And then when it kicks in, it's like, everybody's headbanging. Everybody's like, oh yeah! You know, just, Oh yeah! I mean that is just fucking. Oh 
gosh, you know, you can't get romantic on a subway line. I, I tried. I tried. And she she screamed great. Uh, <laughs> it's what a fucking song. It's it's so Van Halen. And, and God, that album is so fucking amazing. It's not even my favorite song. Even though, like, like you know, at face value, it should be. You know, between that and Cradle of Rock, but th- that album's so deep. But that that song itself it, it is so amazing. And again, a prime example of what was missed in the later years of what was called Van Halen. You would never get that from from Sammy or or fucking you know Sharoni. You know, uh, it's that's just fucking rock and roll, man. Oh my god, everybody wants some. So fucking amazing. Love it. Johnny. Well, obviously the song's a total banger. Um, but, I mean, and, and this this is, going forward, this will become a theme in, in what I'm going to say about my feelings about the songs. But, um, I mean, David is given songs like this that are no one could rightly you would you have to be a fucking genius musician and lyricist to write to write lyrics to these songs and when you're given a bridge and some of these pieces of music that he's given to write to just step in around the genius of Eddie Van Halen and say you know like the way the line runs down those stockings, like those high heels too. I mean, he he he's just weaving in and out of the genius of Eddie, and nobody else can do that, Dave. Nobody else could ever fucking do that. I mean, it's so brilliant. I mean, it it this this song just is is a perfect example of his brilliance as a lyricist to be able to weave in and out of the greatness of Eddie and Al, and let them still have their you know strong take on the song I mean Dave is very minimal his presence in the song is minimal you know he he comes in where he has to come in but he lets the song be the song and he just comes in where he has to I mean it's really a perfect perfect mix of the band and uh, the power chords that Eddie plays I mean it, it's just it's just amazing masterful song you're, you're right about that sorry to interject but you know the, the way that Dave adds those little Davisms you know because if you know if they handed that shit to Sammy he'd be like you can find a lot of bargains at overstock.com you know he, I mean he could never come up with you know a uh, little bit to the right you know uh, right right that, it, it, that's that's why you needed that combination. You hit the nail on the head there, man. Only Dave could add that shit. That's why Van Halen's Van Halen. All right, Edwin. Everybody wants some. Everybody wants some. Well, you know, Sammy needed uh, the album for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge because they needed to kind of spell out the acronym in a nice, polite way. They didn't need to do that, Dave, because it was really clear that all the songs were about fucking. 
and this is a fuck song. It's like one of the greatest fuck songs ever. And what Johnny was saying too with the Dave, you know, he comes in there fucking like Henry Miller type shit. Fucking gets in there and it's confronting, it's in your face and it's in there. And even the guitar sound, like when you think about and as much as I love too. You know, there's something to be said, like, in a way, like, they could have went in a different direction after two. Like, they could have got a even, they could have done, like, a diver down, like, right after two and got a little poppier and threw in more singles. And that's one of the things about uh, Women and Children and Fair Warning I love. Those two albums is that they, they, they stepped it up and said, no, we're not going to just do what we need to do to get on the radio. We're going to just fucking do what we need to do to be fucking rock gods and be awesome. You know, they were going for something a little higher, something uh, meteor. And this in itself, like, this is just in 1980, this is just so badass and primal, and you got Alps in the tribal shit. Everything's working. It's a perfect, badass rock song. It's it's one of those songs that, even though it didn't break my top ten, it is, I love the song. It's awesome. It's just, it's only a credit to Van Halen that this song didn't break my top ten. If it's like most bands, this would be their best song. And it's definitely one of those songs that if you want to play to someone and say, this is what Van Halen's about, it's this song, you know? It's, this is, you know, it's fucking rock and roll. It's awesome. Love it. Um, I'll finish it up with this one. Uh, I love that a movie was actually titled Everywhere in the Summer. It's actually a pretty cool movie if, if you haven't seen it. Um, it features several Van Halen songs, but it, it's it's supposedly kind of like a soft sequel to Days and Confused. Um, cool movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. But, yeah, I mean, everything you guys said, I, I'd be repeating a lot of stuff that you've already said, but uh, piggyback on what Johnny was saying with the with Roth, Roth is very minimalist. I mean, I, there's a lot of songs where I will pick out Roth lyrics that I love. He didn't go crazy on lyrics in the song because it wasn't needed for the song. I, I think it's perfect the way we can say that, like, Eddie is so great because it wasn't always about the flash, it was about playing for the song. Well, the same thing could be said for Roth with his lyrics in that he, he was given, from everything I understand, the way they wrote, Eddie would give him basically these things that they had already recorded for the most part and Dave just had to fit his lyrics into it. And like Johnny said, it's good luck fitting your lyrics into this kind of mad genius. You know, these aren't verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, verse, chorus songs. They're they're like intro, riff, bridge, riff, chorus, bridge, riff. They're all over the place, and nobody could figure those out. I actually heard an interview with Sammy one time where he was basically ripping Eddie for that, like saying, you know, good luck on the structure of these songs. What, 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 he didn't, he said it was so hard to write to, we had to like redo the songs. No, you didn't have to redo the song. The songs were brilliant. Your brain is too fucking small, and you are so untalented that you don't know how to write to his songs. Dave, on the other hand, and it's another thing if you want to listen to that John Shank interview, knew how to write to those songs and could play around the mad genius of Eddie Van Halen. Um, that's what made Van Halen, and this is a perfect example. This song's all over the place, structure-wise. It, it, it's not it, it's not an easy song to throw to a, a lyricist and say, write lyrics to this. But Dave, as always, wrote the perfect lyrics to this. 
Yeah, and the way like Dave is kind of he makes his song accessible. He like makes it a song, not to not to discredit the music. It's an awesome primal song, but Dave is kind of who brings it together and makes it well, he, like he something that people can to the masses. I think yeah. music geeks would love this song as just a standalone instrumental. Yeah. But yeah. the masses aren't going to accept this song without it being everybody wants some. Yeah. He he's made it connecting so like just dudes in their Camaro can listen to it. Like yes, that they brought cool. that. Personal note to this song for me I, I already said that Women and Children First was the last album I bought, and for the big reason it was because of what you guys are talking about, that it didn't really have any real hits on it. Um, but I bought this in 1985 when I saw... Um, Better Off Dead. Yeah. And I was like, I know I had heard the song before, but it's not like I had heard it a lot. And I was like, Jesus Christ, how do I not have this album? It's the only Van Halen I don't, album I don't have. And I think like a week after I saw that movie, I finally bought Women and Children first. Um, well, chime in. I'm going to chime in one second here and just, just give a shameless plug to the brewery, Hoof Hearted Brewing. And they're out of Ohio. And they make an IPA, a double IPA, called Everybody Wants Some. Nice. And on, on the can is cookies, the Van Halen band as cookies, like to an homage for Better Off Dead. That's awesome. With uh, them all playing the instruments as Van Halen as Better Off Dead. It's an, a double IPA called Everybody Wants Some. It's amazing. Everybody go out and buy that beer because they are going to donate Johnny Bogan's uh, <laughs> divorce fund. <laughs> <laughs> Get up this late. <laughs> All right. This I, I, I like to pick John Johnny's wife too. This time, <laughs> she is. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Moving along here, Johnny. Since you were already talking, I'm going to let you lead off number eleven. Another one from 1984. Hot for teacher. Woo! Well, you know, this is going to piggyback on what we've already been talking about. I mean, the the greatness of David Lee Roth being able to weave in and out of Edward Van Halen. I mean, you're talking about the greatest guitar player that ever lived, and we've got Alex here in one of his best, his best songs. I mean, this is a quintessential Alex song. I mean, he comes in on the double bass, just, just killing it. The drums are just killing it. And Eddie comes in, and he's just slamming that riff. And I'll tell you what. You've got 75% of your singers who, when Eddie's riff slows down to they're going to sing. And you've probably got 24% of your singers who are going to do nothing. Just let it play out. And you've got one person in the world who's going to do something different, and that's David Lee Roth. He's going to do a street poet rap. Hey, what do you think the teacher's going to look like this year? No one else is going to fucking do that. No one else is going to do that. And that's the brilliance of fucking Dave. And he did it through the whole song. And I think Half for Teacher, I had it as my, my number two Van Halen song of all time. Because I think it demonstrates the greatness of Alex 
on, on drums. His drums are just fucking phenomenal. Eddie's guitar is on fire. And Dave, his vision and lyrics for the song are second to none. And Eddie fucking killed on the, on the bass, too, by the way. And like, we all know Michael didn't play bass on this. Come on. It's not Joe But, I mean, it's just a fucking killer, killer song. And the video is fucking unbelievable. And I think it just... It, it's the spirit of Van Halen for me. Hat for Teacher is the spirit, and I love it. Somebody else, go ahead. Ed, uh, yeah, I mean, everything Johnny said is totally on point. They, I love this song. It didn't, it didn't even make my top twenty, but it did make my top forty. Uh, it's an awesome song. I love it. Has a little bit of play out factor, but I, it, but from an objective standpoint it is one of the greatest greatest Van Halen songs uh yeah it's Dave's what he's doing during the verses what everyone's doing it's a perfect song it's I, I'll say one thing too it's almost like it's like you said rap it's like it's like Wu-Tang shit you know that's a Dave comes in and I'm a big fan of the Wu-Tang but anyway Dave comes in with this shit yeah no no other singer would do shit like this you know that it, just like Johnny said and it elevates the song, you know, and it takes it's it's a little bit uh, just to digress a little bit like the Beastie Boys when they got Paul's critique. I don't know if you all know the story, like the Dust Brothers had this whole album of essentially instrumental hip hop, which by like late 80s standards was very complex because most hip hop before that didn't have wasn't layered with as much samples. But the. When the Beastie Boys went into the studio with them, they were like, hey, well, okay, well, we got to strip this shit back so, you know, so you can rap over just the beats. And the Beastie Boys were like, no, no, keep the, all that shit in there. We'll rap over it. And they did. And they rap over it, and it became one of the greatest hip-hop albums ever. And, you know, David Lee Roth, and I don't know, maybe it's because they're all Jewish. I don't know, because they're smart. But <laughs> David Lee Roth was like, you know, like, he would do shit that most people, like he said, Johnny... Most singers would have just stepped back and said, just let the guitar do that part. But David Lee Roth says, no, I'm going to fucking do some shit over that. You know, I'm going to do some shit over that shit. And he does it and then elevates the song and turns it into something it wouldn't have been otherwise. He turns it up into some gonzo pop rock masterpiece because he dares to do this thing over what most singers wouldn't even dare to do. And it's amazing. And it's again, it's one of those songs that only Van Halen and these four guys could have done that song. It's an amazing song. Ian, hot for teacher. Uh, I mean, you guys all hit on some amazing points. Uh, You know, and and even to quote, I mean, if if you listen to uh, the Wu Tang Clan, uh, Wu Tang Clan album, you know, they're like, they say, David Lee Roth ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah. Uh, well, that's <laughs> the, the unedited version. Uh, I, I think what stands out so much is you guys brought it. It's the structure of the song. Nobody else put out a song like that where you just had this amazing music, but you did not have a chorus per se, or or a verse. You know, just a spoken word. Uh, and, I, I mean, it's arguably, to me, uh, Thriller can stuck, suck a dick straight up, you know, two ways on Tuesday. Uh, it's the greatest video ever made. I mean, it was so 
groundbreaking, but the song itself, I mean, but it was the perfect mix, because I was at that age, when this came out, I was 10 years old, you know, MTV was still new, and you had a song that was so abstract in its structure, and then you had a video that was so groundbreaking and different, uh, but just the genius behind it. Uh, not only that, you got, you got the Edward solo on this, and 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 Alex's drums, you know, and and you know Mike Anthony was there. Uh, you know, I mean, it was fucking, it's just fucking amazing. It, you know, it's it's fucking hot. Hey, he had some very nice uh, backing vocals on this. Yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I, I think the, the kid who played a young Michael Anthony played more on the record than Michael Anthony, but still, god damn it, you know? I, I, um, that played Michael Anthony, and this is the same kid that played Chunk and Goonies. Yeah. Dave doesn't sing a line in this song till post 120 in the song. It's a minute 20 seconds into the song till Dave sings. That's it. You don't yeah. sing till a minute 20 into the song. It's amazing. And, and, what a, and what a lot of people don't know is that kid who played Michael Anthony in the video, that's who makes that hot sauce that he sells. It's not Michael Anthony. You know? uh, but, uh, God damn, I mean, it's hot for fucking teacher, and this is something, uh, God damn it, you know, I've, I've, I've been drinking for a while now, so I forget who talked about, I, it might have been you, Ryan, who talked about having this on cassette. And this just reminds me uh, the summer of 84 and in the summer of 84 it was all about who had the boombox you know who you know you, you could start taking music with you everywhere I remember hanging out at, at, at the fucking YMCA you know I never got laid but uh, I met a lot of nice guys um, but <laughs> it was all about the boombox and it was like you know playing Van Halen 4 you know, playing fucking Twisted Sister Stay Hungry, playing Shout at the Devil, playing Death Leopard Pyromania, you know, and flipping the cassette over and, you know, waiting for your song to come on. God, I mean, it, it was just a magical era. And it, it just, and it sucks that, like, you know, in a matter of months, it was all gone, you know, and then now you got fucking Bette Midler singing for your favorite band. Yeah, little but, did we know at the time. Right, but I, but I mean, it was a magical fucking time. It really was. And I, 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 I feel bad for the people who weren't alive then or maybe weren't aware or didn't have that. But man, 84 was a fucking amazing year. And Van Halen owned that fucking year. And I, I, I can never hear this song without, sit down, Waldo. You know, I mean, that's just brilliant. Him and Pete Angelus, brilliant, brilliant video. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh Pete Angelus, uh, a very unsung, uh, important part of Van Halen at that time. And, you know, Pete Angelus would go on to man Black Crows and and Dave, I, I believe, for a little while in his solo career. But mm-hmm. there was this great mix of you had like the greatest guitar player, the greatest frontman, you know, one of the most underrated drummers. And I, I think Mike Anthony was there one time. Uh, you know, it's just... Oh, my God. Well, he VHS. I mean, v- VHS was provided. Yeah, Damn. I mean, it, it's, it's just... 
you know, this, I, I, I'm so I'm thankful, though, you know, for my memories of when this was fresh, man. I remember when, you know, you had to wait 45 minutes to see that video because it would be on every 45 minutes. Um, but it was just, it was so, there was no other rock song out there like Hot For that had that structure, that that abstract structure. And, and for Dave... Never see that video made today. Never, never in a million years. Never again. Never. So it was so, so sexual and so uh, out front. You know what I mean? Yeah, he never put that video out today. No, politically, Me Too movement. No way. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just piggybacking on what Ian said, I'll I'll go pretty quick because you guys have hit everything I wanted to hit on with uh, Hot for Teacher. But um, yeah, the video, this is the point where video had become a big part of Van Halen. Um, You know, Jump was a pretty minimalist video, but it was on every second and you couldn't avoid it. And it really gave you just kind of a close up of the band. You know, it gave you, you. you got to see them up and close in a very simple video. But then Panama was next, and Panama was crazy with them, you know, swinging across the stage, drinking beers and with hanging from their leg and all that stuff, and Dave getting arrested. And Panama was a pretty crazy video, too. So, like, I remember, like, literally anticipating, okay, what is their next video going to be? What song is it going to be? And what's the video going to be like? And I will never forget watching it. You know, I'm 12 years old, maybe. Yeah, 12 years old at the time. And I remember watching the world premiere of After Teacher and just like me and my brother were losing our minds with like the whole Waldo thing. And it was like, it was nothing like it had ever been done before and nothing like it. I mean, people tried to imitate it over and over again after that, but it was, it was just the best. I mean, it was genius. It was beyond a genius song. You had a genius visual to go along with it. Yeah, and look at where they would go after that. I mean, even on 5150, the one video they had was Dreams. And it's the like the fucking Blue yeah, Angel. We don't want to look at it. We no, but what I'm saying... Honestly, like, I would, the reason they never made videos for 5150 is they knew they couldn't top what they did with Roth. They knew that anything they did from a video standpoint was going to be compared to like the bombast and the craziness and the innovativeness and, and the cleverness of the rock videos. But yeah, Dave like, made those videos. Dave made all those videos. Dave made Jump. Dave made Panama. Dave made Half Our Teacher. Yes. They, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, what they should have done in the Dreams video was fly into the fucking Twin Towers. At least people would have paid attention. You know? But... I, 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 I mean, look at that. At the same time, though, you got Dave going solo, and look at the videos he put out for Yankee Rose and going crazy. Yep. Are so iconic and so like Diggle well thought well, out. Even before that, like uh, you know, California yeah. Girls. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's obviously why they went in the direction they do Fifty One Fifty because Dave, obviously, he was the one that pivoted the videos from like Hopper Teacher into into his solo career. Like on the video guy, I'm Dave TV. Remember he was like Dave TV? And Van Halen was like, oh we'll do the opposite. In a way they were kind of being like kind of proto Pearl Jam. Like we're not really about videos. So right. I feel like they were trying to counter program in, in a sense. Yeah they weren't really about music. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's like when Andrew Jacobs wife left them for the 
the Lakers, you know. He's like, it, it, it's more about the girth. It's not the length, you know. And I, I think, man, it, they seem to kind of trick people there for a few years because they're, at least from what I remember as a teenager, there was this consensus from about 87 to like 92 that Van Halen had the more substance than David Lee Roth. Like, you know, we don't want to talk about it now. But at the time period, there was that kind of idea that David Lee Roth was kind of the Vegas showy guy and Van Halen was a little more serious. You know, Mark Allen Taylor. Yeah, there was a feel. I'm just saying that at the time period, and MTV itself was kind of projecting that a little bit, especially into the early 90s with the whole right now bullshit. There was this idea that Van Halen was like had more substance, and David Lee Roth was like a goofy guy. There was that conception, you know. Oh, but MTV also had Bon Jovi as a very, a very powerful spiritual band at that time, and. and, Yeah, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying that that well, was I like that was the narrative being pushed by MTV at that time. That was the fake news by MTV at that time. That Van Halen had more substance than David Lee Roth. Well, yeah, and, and it was all the same time. MTV pushed the pushed the freeform rock podcast as a <laughs> podcast, but we all know. But it was at that at that time, though. I mean, I was there. You know. Yeah. Van, Van Hagar was at the time more popular uh, than David Lee Roth, but it was like, yeah, because you could sell fucking Van Hagar bullshit to the same people who bought Taylor Dane or, you know, Impossible. whatever. And, yeah. and the Faith, and all those are bond, bullshit Bon Exactly. You know, it's like you could sell it to the people who saw Girls, Girls, Girls and thought that was a good Mountain Crew record. No offense. Oh, you know I, you know I love you. I, I love you more than your wife's gonna love you when you go to bed at three in the morning, Johnny. But, uh, yeah. And you may ask yourself, why do I sound sober? Because it's been about a week and a half since we recorded this episode, and stay tuned next week or coming soon. Who knows? Might not even have to wait a week. But we're going to drop the big deuce. That's right, part two of this epic seven-hour tribute to Van Halen. That's next time on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast.